We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, it's Alex here from the True Faith Podcast. This is a podcast recording of the um, True Faith Press Forum, which took place on February the 1st um, at the Tyneside Iris Centre in aid of the West End Food Bank. Uh, all of the journalists who came along and everybody who spoke, Sharon Percy, the host, uh, Zahara, who's filmed this for YouTube, um, they all gave up their time completely free of charge in aid of the West End Food Bank. Now, on the night, 180 people attended the event and were raised uh, over £2,200, uh, thanks to ticket sales and uh, very kind donations from Graham Forster and Steve Wraith. Um, so if you listen to this podcast, I, I really, really hope that you will donate to the food bank. That's what it's all about. At the end of the day, that's why everyone's come together to talk to you um, about Newcastle United and the stuff you're going to hear over the next two and a half hours uh, is absolutely fantastic from the lads who, who spoke on the night. To do that, you can quite simply text from your phone um, a £5 donation uh, that's really, really easy to do. You text um, NCLF00 um, to, you text that to 70070, uh, or you can donate online through the um, charity checkout page. And I'm going to put a link to that on the description of this podcast. You'll also find a link on the uh, the TF Weekly Pod, at TF Weekly Pod, TFNUFC um, podcast Twitter. So we're going to post that link at the top. Last time we put this podcast out for the first press forum, about 5,000 people listened to it, um, and 5,000 people certainly didn't donate. So if you listen to this, I'm going to stop waffling, but please donate. It's to a, it's to a fantastic cause. And if you, know, if, you, if you listen to this now, if about five to 6,000 people listen to this, all donated £5, it's, a, it's an absolute fortune, and it will feed hundreds of families across Tyneside and, and, and the wider region. So I'll stop waffling. Uh, I hope you enjoy the podcast. Please subscribe to the show if you like it, and uh, I'll let Sharon take it away. What we're going to do is just remind you, everybody's here, we're going to do it in three sittings. We've got these four guys opening up this evening. We've got Craig Hope, we've got Wallace Wilson, we've got Simon Bird, and we've got Colin Whittle. So come on guys, put your hands together for the team starting off today for the tonight is we're going to answer the questions that I've got in front of me and then if you've got time before the end of each session we'll take questions off the floor. Is that all right? Fantastic. Right, here we go. 
Hello, gentlemen. Oh, Sharon. Oh, all right. Hey, it's all been going on, right, hasn't it? Not really. Not really. No. Not that much. Actually, yeah, that's true. But uh, I, I feel that there's quite a bit to talk about tonight. Um, so opening up with our first question, the first question I've got on my bit of paper tonight is, why do you think we haven't made a permanent signing in January? Are the club tight, skinned, incompetent, or a mixture of all three? So who would like to answer that one first? I'll go. Yeah. Go on then, Craig. I think in the, the isolation of this window, it's not really important whether the signings were permanent or loan additions. It was just important that they got bodies through the door and players who, who Rafa wanted. If you think the, the objective for this season, for the next four or five months, is to stay in the Premier League. So whether that means bringing in a, a £20 million striker, as in the, the guy from Feyenoord, Jorgensen, or getting his lamps tomorrow on loan, it doesn't really matter because all, all the counts are staying in the Premier League over the, the course of the next six months. Uh, I don't know yet whether it's been a, a good window or not. I think only, only really time will tell. And to give you the best example, I'll take you back two years when uh, Newcastle and Sunderland were in a similar sort of situation. Sunderland brought in the, the three Ks, Kasri, Kone uh, and Kirchhoff. At the same time, Newcastle spent the best part of £30 million, £25 million on two England internationals, John Joe Shelby, Angus Townsend, and not forgetting uh, Henri Savi as well. Uh, and you would have thought Newcastle had the better window, undoubtedly, but it, it come the end of the season. It was the, the three players who Big Sam brought in down in Sunderland who kept them in the division. So I don't think we can determine just yet whether it's been a, a success or not. Only time will, will tell on that front. I certainly feel more confident than I did at, at the start of the window. Uh, I think they are three good additions. Well, I don't know anything about the goalkeeper, uh, but certainly I think Kennedy's a good addition, as he proved last night. Mm -hmm. Uh, Islam Slamani, I uh, spoke to my colleague who works down in the Midlands and he said, listen, he's a good player. He said the only reason he hasn't shown it at Leicester is, is the, the never-ending success and durability of, uh, of Jamie Vardy, basically. So, so yeah, I, I am more encouraged than I was at the start of the window. They have got bodies in. They are players Rafa did want. Rafa is happy with that. Uh, to answer the question, are they incompetent? Well, well absolutely. Uh, <laughs> We know that. I mean, they've only joined the party on January the 29th. Uh, Mike actually spent 15 days in Miami. Lee Charney spent an entire week of the transfer window dealing with the Peter Beardsley, the Peter Beardsley yeah. case. Uh, so, yeah, they, I mean, Lee Charney has spread so thinly across the, the football club. Thankfully, there's a lot of them to spread. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but there, there is just this, this power vacuum. I said this the last day as well. There is this power vacuum at the club uh, at executive level whereby Lee Chong is having to deal with everything. So it almost come to January the 27th, 28th, and it was like, right, guys, come on, let's go. Mm -hmm. What's this transfer window all about? Yeah. And thankfully, they have managed to get a couple of bodies in. Uh, time will tell whether it's been a successful one or not. Thank you. Anybody want to add to that? Thank God. Um, are they tight? Yes, they are. Um, <laughs> are they skinned? Um, well, they are compared with the top six, top seven clubs, um, but they're not completely skinned. They should have had 15 to 20 million to spend. Um, are they incompetent? Yeah, they're not very good at getting deals done, and that's proven in the last, certainly in the last three transfer windows. We we're just trying to work out exactly what Newcastle spent this um, this January. Uh, we, obviously, loan, loans aren't, aren't, don't come at no cost. You've got to pay the loan fee. So we reckon the loan fees are about four and a half, five million. Um, wages on top of that, four million. But they've, they've got really five, six players um, and saved probably three and a half million to the end of the season of wages. So the, probably the net spend is like four million, which is <coughs> tiny for a, a club that's trying to um, 
supposedly build under a great manager um, and, and get themselves out of the hole at the bottom of the bottom of the division. Um, has it been a good transfer window? Well, uh, as Craig said, that'll be, that'll be proven in time. I think it's been okay. It was rescued on the last day. Slimani might, if he gets over his injury quick and bounces a few goals in, be a good a good addition. The keeper is apparently decent, but we've not seen anything of him yet, and there's pressure on him. Um, Kendi looked very good last night, didn't waste the ball, great delivery, um, really had something different. Um, I hope that continues. So, you know, but it's just ticking over, really. It, it was just getting bodies in that they needed, um, and they needed to do an awful lot more to keep a manager like Benitez happy, and they needed to do it really a lot quicker as well. Mm. They looked at 50 strikers, and Rafa's pretty happy with the scouting and the, the system behind it um, that, that he's got behind him to identify players um, and see well, the background checks and check them out. And he he's not he's not a daft man. He's not he doesn't want to spend money willy nilly and waste it for Newcastle. I think he's quite from his talks with the journalist that he's quite serious about um, the way he uses the club's money um, and you know he presents the deals in a very structured manner and says this is what the wages are this is what I think the value is and the frustration with the Jorgensen, Jorgensen deal was that supposedly his first choice um, he'd identified him in December told the, told the powers that be in January the 1st that that's who he wanted and it takes till kind of the you know, 23rd, 24th before Newcastle are actually laying down money on Reynolds' door to try and get him, and that's the I think that's the biggest frustration that you know there's a, there's a manager here with massive experience identifying targets, knowing what the deal is, thinking that they're worth 20 million because he thought he was worth 20 million, and the club bids 13, 15, three weeks after they could have gone in for him, and that's the kind of frustration we have. It might be an okay window if they survive and they've got a bigger war chest for the summer, um, but we just don't know yet. I think. I think the, the, the key thing to understand is that Mike Ashley isn't interested in Newcastle United's bank balance. He's only interested in his own. Mm-hmm. And he's, um, he's concerned, I think, about um, having to bail out the club if it does get relegated again, which he's had to do twice before because of his own mistakes, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I think what's actually happening, um, from, from my observation, is that he's requiring the club to have... Um, a reserve fund um, which will be used if they get relegated. Oh, thank you. All right, okay. Um, Which will be used if they get relegated um, and uh, save him dipping into his pocket as he has twice to to subsidise the the club over the uh, the championship season. So they've probably um, kept back money which will effectively pay for a championship season. And um, only when they get through that, if we get through that, if we stay in the Premier League, then there will be more money to spend in the summer. Uh, because um, obviously then you've, you've generated money, you've still got money in the bank, you've got a new tranche of money coming in. Um, but at the end of the day, um, Ashley really isn't bothered about whether... Newcastle United are in the Championship or the Premier League, apart from the impact it has on his advertising. And um, I, I feel that what's happening is that um, the what, what disappoints me in a sense is that the, the level of expectation that people have about our club has been suppressed successfully by Mike Ashley. People, a lot of people were thinking, you know, Going into this transfer window, oh, we're not going to sell anybody. 
Um, you know, we'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll meander on, we might get one or two loans in. So when we get three loans in, people are, you know, reasonably content with that. We shouldn't be. This is because of United you're talking about. You know, we get 52,000 in the gate every other week. We shouldn't be satisfied with that. That's not what this club is meant to be about. You know, we should be top six, and we should have been top six for the last ten years. It's only because this man has come in and successfully managed to almost like disintegrate the fabric of the club that we're actually prepared to accept three loan deals. This is not the way it was meant to be, and we've, I think as a group of people, we've, then, we've now got to start taking seriously our responsibility in terms of getting rid of this parasite who's managed to lodge himself in the body of the club and become the club we should be again. probably not be surprised to hear that I'm very much with Wallace on this. I think the problem that we've got is we've got an owner who really isn't concerned about Newcastle United and how well Newcastle United does other than steering off relegation. So I think for me, he's, he hasn't backed the manager once again. The fact that they're running around the last couple of days on the transfer window, getting loan deals in, to me just says they're not backing the manager. What he's doing is he's relying on a world-class manager to be able to on, keep it up this on, season. Do you want us to repeat that? <laughs> One, two, three, four. Oh, I can't go then. So, so I think I think he's got no concern for Newcastle United. He knows he's got a world-class manager who can probably squeeze enough out of the squad to be able to keep her up this season and avoid relegation. Uh, and I think that's very disappointing. I think the fact that we're running around right on the last day getting loans in. Um, says it all. We should be backing the manager. I think under this manager, if we're backed up, we'd be in a much better position. He keeps saying, you know, uh, we're, we're not a country, Man City are backed by this, but we just like to be able to compete with the People's Republic of Wolfpack, uh, and that's not even happening. And so I'm very disappointed. I think Kennedy was excellent last night, very impressive. Can't really comment any others, I haven't seen them. But personally, I wasn't expecting to buy anybody, and that's what's happened. And it wasn't expected to buy anybody because we've got a great squad and we don't need people. It's just that's the way, unfortunately, the owner operates. Got no concern for Newcastle United other than protecting these other brands. And that's really sad. Um, so, and what was it? The, the original question about incompetence, etc., etc. What I believe and what I understand from people who I've had various dealings with over the last couple of years, all the power lies in, in Sports Direct head office. I don't think there's any power up at Newcastle. Uh, Lee Chong is obviously the most senior person, but I don't think he's got any delegated authorities to actually do deals. Uh, as we keep saying, the owner, he keeps saying about the, the board, the infamous board, but um, it's all been ran down at uh, Sports Direct, the chair book. They make all the decisions. They uh, ultimately hold the purse strings. Unfortunately, they're strangling the club. Um, so I think it's a combination. Well, I don't actually blame the people who are working up there because I think some great individuals working there, but they're within, within a structure that gives them no power. They've took, the, the workforce is on a minimum, and, and unfortunately, they've just reduced everybody who's working up there to the minimum number of people to run a club. It's really a shame, to be honest with you, and it's very sad. Um, so I think it's a combination of all those things. 
we will be disappointed whether the, the key will be whether or not we'll stay up. But it's so, what kills me is the fact that we got promoted last season and if we back the manager, we would, I'm not expecting to be top six or anything like that. I'm, you know, eighth, ninth, tenth, I think we're capable of doing that. But we're having to scrap around to avoid relegation. And I really think we're above that. And that's no disrespect to the other teams down there. But competing with Bournemouth with our 11,000s, etc. It's just, just beyond the pale, to be honest with you. Right, second question I've got here is if a new FC valued the lad from Feyenoord below the Dutch clubs asking price, who makes that valuation and how? What does Rafa make of it and who has the final say on how much we're paid, if not the manager? Well, sure. I don't know. Well, we, we sat down with Rafa on Tuesday, uh, and as I explained to you, the last time we have our on-the-record chat, then we have our off-the-record chat, off-the-record is invariably <coughs> more enlightening than, than on-the-record. Uh, conversation turned to, to the guy Jorgensen in a roundabout sort of way and Rafa said to us that he, he did rate him at the, the asking price which we believe to be about 25 million euros which is 22 million pounds so it was interesting that, that Rafa did think he was he, he was worth that amount he was willing the club to, to pay basically uh, but it was, it was clear that that just wasn't going to happen I think he, he had the message that they weren't prepared to go but sort of 15, 16 million so uh, who makes the valuation uh Rafa has one valuation of the player, and it's quite clear that Lee Charney and Mike Ashley have, a, have another valuation, and they, they couldn't come together on that. Uh, there actually is, I don't know if it's been reported before, but there, there is now a, a transfer war room, believe it or not, at the training grounds. Uh, it's been, seriously, it's... Or a little cabin, isn't it? Yeah, well, it looks like... <laughs> An empty little cabin. It, it looks like the hood from Arvida Zempet. Uh, the only difference was the hood had never go. This cabin's got no fucking hood. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, this, this, this hut, quite suitably, is on a little scrap of wasteland. It's pathetic, it is, but so, someone joked me and said, oh, I bet you'd love to get a bug to bug that hut. I thought, you're kidding, aren't you? want 30 days of silence and something in cups of tea. Uh, we, we don't do that sort of thing anymore, we don't have journalists, but... Uh, <laughs> sure, sure, you've got a voice now. <laughs> Yeah, so listen, Rafa, in, in relation to the question, Rafa really wanted Jorgensen. I thought it was interesting when he, he hinted to us that Jorgensen was number one on his list. Uh, of, of Simon said there earlier, about, what, 50 strikers, and they had, a, they had a top five. Interestingly, Daniel Sturridge wasn't on the, the top five. Uh, it was just an opportunity which presented itself late in the window. They decided to act on it. Uh, I don't know if Daniel Sturridge was ever intent on coming to, to Newcastle, depending on who you talk to. Uh, Newcastle thought they had him. I think reading between the lines now, it was only ever applied to, to get more out of West Brom in the end, and there's a suggestion of one or two different payments being made in different directions, which uh, which has infuriated Newcastle, I think, to be honest. They've, they've probably been played on the storage deal. But but yeah, in, in answer to the question, Jorgensen, was he number one? For me, going into deadline day, I thought the best chance of getting a player was just paying the money and, and getting Jorgensen in. Whether he's any good or not, I, I don't know. I saw him play for, uh, for Denmark when I was covering Ireland in the... Uh, the World Cup qualifiers then, I didn't think he, he didn't sit, he didn't stand out, I checked back with my merit marks, making two fives, uh, which didn't instill much confidence. But uh, yeah, listen, they've got Samani in. Personally, I think it's a, a better bet than Jorgensen, given the experience he's got of the Premier League, but as I said earlier, only time will tell. It's, it's a good question at who actually you know, decides what the value is, and it's obviously a, 
uh, something that clubs talk about. And I, I kind of don't mind Newcastle going in and trying to drive a hard bargain, 30 million, 15 million. But if you've got a, like a manager like Rafa and he, you want to give him power and you know, the choice of who he wants, there comes a point where you actually put the money on the table and you say, okay, 18, 19, and really tempt them. Because 15 was never going to tempt them if the asking price was 22. Um, so I don't mind them driving a hard bargain initially. Or the other tactic is, which probably Benitez wants, is for Newcastle to go with a proper serious bid on the 1st of January and have him available for three more games. Because you know, the games are running out now. Um, and if you go in with proper money, 18 million first bid, 12, 16 first bid, 18, 19, you might get it early in the window. And I think that's the kind of thing which Benitez really gets frustrated. He always says in his quotes, we were ready January the 1st, we had our list, we gave it to the board. Yeah. And it's for others to act then and back him. And you've got a manager like that, you've got to back him or he'll just go. Yeah. It's a good point you make actually because Rafa has said to us all through December when the, the conversation does turn the transfer window, I've got my list of names ready to go now. This was what, December 15th, December 20th. Just think of the, the impact someone like Kennedy could have had in that, that home match against Swansea or some of the other games during January. That for me is this points already squandered because Newcastle dragged their heels. And as I said earlier, didn't really join the party until the, the final week of the window. Thank you. I mean, as a humble fanzine right now, I don't get the insight that the guys have got, but I mean, I'm presuming Rafa lines up the players he wants, or, or he picks out the players he wants, has an idea of what the valuation is, and submits it to somebody who might make a decision and do the negotiation, and they like a hard bargain. It's, it's, it's a real contradiction, isn't it? Because when, when he's wanting to sell the club, he won't um, negotiate there. He'll, he'll ask for the maximum that he wants and he'll not move, yet adopt the opposite strategy when I want to buy a player, which will give the minimum. Um, it's, it's very sad, I mean, I back what the guys are saying there, if he's got a valuation on a player, let's put that valuation in, get him as early as we possibly can, he can integrate with the team, three extra games, instead what we're doing is we're getting players at the end of, end of January. So presumably some, something falls down somewhere along the line, and I think that's what I said in the first question, which was the deals are not done by people in and around Newcastle, not the decisions, the decisions are somewhere else. Yeah. They'll decide how much is going to pay. People who've got no interest in football or got no interest in valuing players, just people who want to screw down deals. That's and, and unfortunately, yeah. that's what that's what the position is. We, we said to him in one desperate press conference mid-January, can you not just tell Charlie to do the deal and forget Mike and just get him to sign it off? And he, and he, it just couldn't happen. You know, he, he's got to run. Charlie has got to run everything by the money men. It's, it, it, it's, it's unbelievable. My belief is, is Charlie is, is the same as probably one of the branch managers in Sports Direct. So, which is, you get some delegations up to a certain figure so you can, you can buy the tea and what have you. And we'll make a little, have a little bit more mixed look at it as they buy the tea. I don't think he's got that much power. But the thing is, right, he, I, I don't think he's any different because that's the way Ashley treats the club. The club is just one of his playthings along with all the other assets that he owns. And I think what happens is, Unfortunately, Charlie doesn't have the power to be able to do all these things. Everything's ran from somewhere else. And if you try to overstep the mark, you'd be out the door. And he probably doesn't want to be out the door on that salary. And the frustrating thing is, Rafa's not just throwing names out willy-nilly here. They're doing massive research on who he wants, on you know, lists of targets. He's already lowered his expectations from being Real Madrid manager to shop in a market that he thinks Newcastle are in. So he probably wouldn't sign Jorgensen if he was at a, you know, a, a more successful club around Europe. Um, so he, he's doing all that research and he knows everything about the deal. He knows all the age. He's taking hundreds of calls every week um, and he's compiling all the financial information for them. So it's not like 
Newcastle have got to do a boardroom level, a load of information research in the deal. He's got it all there and he's presenting it. So <coughs> Rafa puts a hell of a lot of work in, yeah. which ultimately a lot of it goes to waste, which is quite sad. Yeah. Mm. I think, I mean, for, for me, just picking up one of the things that was mentioned there is, is the fact that the, the delays could be catastrophic. Yeah. Because, you know, we've missed opportunities against Swansea and Burnley to take four points more than we've got. And the difficulty that we've got now, we've got 13 games left, and I think we've still got six of the top seven to play. And so far this season, we've taken one point from, from those seven teams. So um, we're, in, we're in dire straits, and we've been put there by the, the way that the club operates, which is, again, about screwing down costs and making sure that there's money available to support the club if and when it fails. Thank you very much, guys. Moving on, next question. Is Justin Barnes still involved at NUFC? And if so, how much influence did he have in this transfer window? Do you know? Well, he, I think he was, in the, he was certainly in the director's box at some point this January. Yeah. Um, he's probably influential, and he was a lawyer trying to sell the club for Mike Ashley, but whether he's the one who gets the call and says yes or no to the money, I, I, I pretty much doubt it. Um, I don't think in the transfer window he's probably a very significant figure. Yeah. When it comes to the transfer window, I don't think he, he does have that level of influence, no. Right. Okay. I don't like his dad, Cliff, in Dallas. <laughs> Remember that last talking, that last talking when they were doing introductions at Angus, because nobody knew who Justin Bond was. Uh, my name's Justin Bond, there's people hiding glasses in it and everything. And uh, I, I mean, to be honest, he may be part of the team that's down there influencing what the can and cannot spend on players. We don't know how much of, a, of an influence he is, but we know that the deals aren't being done through people he have in control, certainly. Okay, thank you. What is the real reason Daniel Sturridge didn't sign for NUFC? Well, the, the reason given was quote from the agent was geographical reasons. Uh, looking back now, having, having spoken to different people, I don't think he was ever intent on coming to Newcastle. He certainly uh, led Newcastle to believe that he was, he was going to travel up and that they thought they had him. There was a lot of confidence there. Uh, but his family have got connections with uh, West Bromwich Albion, certainly something which has been suggested to me is his uncle is an agent who had a player in West Brom who subsequently moved out of West Brom, was allowed to leave, so there's real sort of murky, murky waters there. There's suggestions of, a, of another payment to a family member, so all in all, I think the cast have probably been used on this one. Uh, he wasn't on Rafa's original list, apparently, so, um, but he would have been very happy. I think most of us would, here would have been pretty happy to see him come in. He would have been um, quite a good impact, though. When Rafa asked about him the other day, when he when he said by, um, why he asked why he asked us why do you think he wasn't on my list, and, and we said injuries, and he, mm. he shrugged. So there's probably a few injury doubts about him still. I mean, I, I think it'd be a good acquisition when he's not injured. He's injured all, all the time, but it just puts it into significance, doesn't it? I mean, without being disrespectful to West Brom and Alan Pardew, who I'm now going to be disrespectful to, <laughs> that guy went to West Brom and said Newcastle United. That's what, that's what we've become now. That's what's happening to our club, right? It's just an absolute disgrace. We did have a slight laugh, though, when Rafa said to us, uh, why haven't I signed Daniel Sturridge? You said, well, injuries. And then Simone came in with a thigh stream. Didn't quite make sense, but that's not as bad as first reporters. Uh, I'm just happy you're not going to see that stupid bloody dance. <laughs> 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 
That's because you can't do it well. Too old, man. He was doing that in his twenties, weren't you? Over the years, we've sent numerous letters, it won't, and the club always denied that they ever got letters from her. And at one point in time, we've got Kevin Mills, Chief Executive of FSF, to hand deliver a letter, and they're still denied to receive that as well. It's unbelievable. We sent them emails, and I don't know much about modern technology, but emails are supposed to get to places quicker. But there's a block on the emails up there because they never receive anything. Called. I think from our point of view, call trust or whatever, I mean, over the years we've been criticised because we've called Ashley uh, and we've never believed that he's had Newcastle United at heart mm -hmm. and I think the position is from the start we've asked them difficult questions the very first fans forum the fans forum was a great idea we helped set it up with them but we went Peter Fannin uh, <coughs> sitting down there who got who got the band right, uh, <laughs> went on with all these difficult questions we've been through the accounts we had accountants going through the accounts ready to ask questions and all they wanted to know, oh, you can't ask that question. Can you not ask a question about how uh, the pitch and shit hanging off the back of the stand or there's a pool of water somewhere? They didn't like questions, so they chucked her off the forum straight away and made a reason up. Ah, you, you broke the protocol of the forum, the first one ever. And uh, there's a guy from Low uh, Flags, you find that tomorrow, it'll be health and safety and whatever. You broke the health and safety policies and what have you. You're out for putting that flag up. I mean, it's, we just want to speak to them. We've actually had more contact with. Amanda Stavely in the PCP group than we've had in 10 years with like Ashley. And we're not horrible people. I don't, they, don't, they don't put me up because I probably am horrible. But they put Peter Fanning, people like that. Reasonable people would just want the best for Newcastle United. I don't even mind people coming in and making money for themselves, preventing not doing the best for the club. But the problem is, we've got a person who's got no intention of doing anything to benefit Newcastle United. And for me, if you've got a, an, all we want from an owner, I'd love fan ownership, I'd love to see what's replicated in, in, in Germany, the 50 plus one rule, but there's too many snouts in the trough, the people who, who run football will never let that happen because they're the ones who lose out. We're the ones who put my money in, we, we've been there for years and years and years, through the bad and the worst days, and we'll continue. No matter what football clubs always turn to the supporters, no matter what, you see it everywhere. Uh, what's the question again? Anything else? <laughs> What we have done, to be fair, right, over the last year or so, we've chipped away, we've chipped away, Peter Fannin's been having meetings with Lee Marshall, with Lee Charlie, we went back on the forum, we did, and uh, we haven't any, asked any awkward questions yet. We're trying to ask a question about strawberry players and asset stripping, but that's totally off the, they'll never let us ask a question about that, but we, we, we want to have proper dialogue with them and constructive dialogue, but that also involves two-way criticism, and, and if we have got some valid points, let, that will make those valid points and then argue against it. So I think that the, the view is, look, we want the best for Newcastle United. We're not a protest group, we want, to, we want to represent supporters and we want supporters to be engaged with the club and have a say in the way ahead for the club. Because we love the club, it's our life. Um, but unfortunately, I think the club really, the, the guys on the ground, they're happy to speak to the supporters, but the problem is we've said they've got no power whatsoever at all. And therefore, uh, unfortunately, there's been no dialogue. That will not continue. Ashley will never, ever meet with, unless 
we'll go to the, uh, support, the uh, Sports Direct, AGM, so that's a good idea. Because we've got other things that we're talking about planning because I think what we'll have to do is, you're not listening to us, so we're going to have to make them listen, we'll have to get into Sports Direct, affect these businesses, but more of that to come. Uh, but, but very happy in a very peaceful way, with all the supporters working together, uh, because if he's not going to go, and he says he wants to go, and he said all these things, we may have to help him out. Uh, and the only way I think you can help him out is if you affect his business interests, because I don't think he's bothered about protesting Newcastle United. And there's ways to affect this, the, the business interests. You see what happened in, in Glasgow Rangers, and there's a few tricks, but I can't tell you what they are at the moment. Um, but um, I think we'll have no contact from him. I'm not expecting any contact from him. Um, I'm just hoping of hopes that, that the, the takeover is still on. Because I think, from from my understanding, that, that Amanda Steele and the PC people do want engagement and support us, and that's what I've asked at this moment in time. Yeah, yeah. Right. You said that Colin, that you pinned into the club account, so yeah, I presume they made, made good reading because they don't pay tax on VAT. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Wallace. As a Newcastle United fan, do you feel the club have deliberately done business as late as possible to avoid criticism? Many fans seem to be content with the business we've done as it feels better than nobody. Well, yes. Um, there you have it. <laughs> basically, the, you know, as I said before, I think it's, it's, about, it's about managing expectations and they've, they've managed to, to suppress the level of expectation among fans. Uh, which um, to, to a level where you know on the 31st of January you're thinking oh three loan deals that's not bad really um, when in fact you know you're looking at teams that we should be competing against you know when quick history lesson when we got beat in the cup, in the cup final in '74 we had won as many trophies as Liverpool right so you know that that's sort of going back sort of 40 odd years. But you look at you know other teams that are in the same ballpark as us in terms of support uh, size of supporter base and so on, then you know there's, there's no reason really why we shouldn't be able to compete. We've got a ground which is big enough. We've got a, a sort of a, a supporter catchment base which is worldwide, but specifically in the north of England, we are the only club currently anywhere near the Premier League. So we should be able to, to, to generate significant amounts of income. And one of, the, one of the other problems that we've got is that the club has completely managed to suppress the level of income which is coming in through commercial activity. I mean, they've sold the, the catering. God knows what they're doing with the shirts and stuff like that. I don't think anybody really knows because, you know, it's all hidden and so on in terms of what goes into the Sports Direct and what goes into Newcastle United and, and so on. So you've got, a, you've got a, a, the income, which is primarily based on, on the television revenues, which Ashley's had nothing to do with. Um, so all the income that he's had some control over has reduced significantly, certainly in terms of, uh, if you take into account inflation and stuff like that, the job that he's doing is appalling, and that's one of the reasons why he's, he's trying to suppress expectation because he doesn't want to pay any money yet. Um, and so far, he's succeeding. As I said before, I think we've got to, we have to try to overcome that. We have to, to raise those expectations again, and we, we need to, to make people aware of what Newcastle could and should be. 
Just a point that Wallace made about, about the income. The TV deal is, is obviously massive and that brings in the major part of the income. That's not even negotiated by the club. The one thing that we've fallen massively behind on is commercial income. We've fallen well behind clubs that we were above 10 years ago. Tottenham's the one that you would maybe do the comparison with, where the, where the commercial income was similar 10 years ago. Now it's been dwarfed in comparison. So, so the club's getting strangled, as Wallace has said. And where we are making the money is, is through the deals that we don't even have anything to do with. Part of that's because we haven't got the experts in the club there to, to increase that commercial income, even if there is a, day, a desire from head office for that to happen, and I'm not sure there is. Okay, thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, can we put your hands together, please, for the end of part one. We've been listening to Craig Hall from the Daily Mail, Wallace Wilson from True Faith, Simon Bird from the Mirror, and Colin Little from the NUST. We've got the team all sitting, waiting, ready. Um, we've got a handful of questions, so we're going to crack on. Guys, could you introduce yourselves, please? Start at this end. On. It's on. <clears throat> two, two. No, 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 My name's Chubbs, I'm from the True Faith Podcast, best known for pretty much losing marbles about Mike Ashley um, on audio files, so forgive us if I go off on one at night. Um, and my fans in waiting. Uh, I'm George Culkin from The Times. Uh, Luke Edwards from The Telegraph. Steve Ray, former vicar of this parish. <laughs> Thank you very much, gentlemen. Now, the questions in this part are all about the takeover. So, here we go. Steve and George have met Amanda Stavely. Is she the real deal? And what did you make of her? Well, George spent a lot more time with Amanda Stavely than I did, so I'll leave that to you, George. Well, you go first, go on. Um, well publicised, thanks to Mark Douglas's tweets uh, on that particular day when Liverpool came to St James's Park um, but yes I met her, I met her husband as well and I found it to be very pleasant and um, obviously the, the takeover really wasn't, or the attempt at takeover wasn't really in full swing then so from my perspective it was a, a chance to, to, to speak to the woman who potentially might be trying to take over our football club and I chatted to her like most fans would about the area about the football club, about the support, about the team, about how our our support tends to get up if there's a, a bad decision given and you know it, it creates that little bit of extra buzz. But I basically gave her a, a running commentary of what life is like as a Newcastle fan and, and the plus points of coming and trying to buy the club because at that moment in time there was there was no real movement. There was there was an assumption that you may well come and try and put a bid in for the club, but there was no real um, there was no real you know, effort being made that we could see. So from my perspective, I found it to be very pleasant. She, she has a northern, a northeast connection, if you like, with, with um, owning um, a family-owning Lightwater Valley. And I found her husband to be very pleasant as well. You know, wanted to know about the area, wanted to buy into, the, buy into what Newcastle United was about. A lot of questions from them about, you know, what, what would happen if, if a new owner came in? How would the fans react? So there was a lot of, just a lot of questions. It was like, you know, it was a, it was a, weird, a weird scenario. And I, I look at that, and then I look at the meetings that I've had with Mike Ashley. Like, probably a lot of you in the room, when Mike Ashley came to the club, I had, you know, bumped into him at an away game once at, at Wigan, 
where everybody wanted their photograph taken with him because he was going out into blue bamboo and buying people pints and stuff like that. I never never had a pint off Mike. I'll come to that in a minute. But the the Wigan the Wigan thing was was just weird, you know. Just you know, I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll jump on the bandwagon here. I'll get a photograph with him. You never know when that could be useful. And sure enough, a couple of years later, I did run into Mike Ashley again. We'd obviously been relegated, and we got into the championship. Mike had to dip his hand in his pocket, which is not very um, accustomed to doing, but he had invested and kept the team together, which managed to get us out of the championship at the first time of asking. And I was lucky enough because of the company that I run, Newcastle Legends, and, and doing a lot of ex-player talkings, to, to, to get on quite well with a few of the lads at the time. Still speak to Steve Harper at this day, do a bit of work with him, but I got to know Kevin Nolan and Joey Barton quite well. And they invited me along to the end of season do at the Diamond and Pontelan, which I'm sure most of you know is a, a, a favourite haunt for a lot of the football players, certainly like over the years. So I got invited to the end of season party. They said, bring a few of your mates up. I went up. We got there. We got there at the time we were told to get there, and there was nobody there. Thought we'd been, you know, pranked, if you like. I walked in, I bought all the lads a pint, and then two minutes later, just as I got That's me, not true. Just as I got me changed, <laughs> just as I got me changed, Mike actually walks in. Mike Ashley walks straight in behind, puts his car behind the bar, nobody else bought a drink for the rest of the night. <laughs> but, fast forward, to get to the, the, the interesting bit, um, Derek Lambias was obviously there, working alongside Mike Ashley at the time. I, I waited, because obviously I'd been quite vociferous against Mike Ashley and, and on you know, various interviews and stuff, and stuff that I'd written. And I thought, look, I'm going to go over and, and, and try and have a chat with him. So I went up, shook his hand and said, Mike, Steve Wraith, um, you know, right, one of the football fanzines, just want to say, you know, congratulations on promotion. And I'm just interested in know what your plans are for the future. You know, what, what's your plans with, with our football club? Are you going to invest? Are you going to go and buy some players? And at, the, at that time, the buffet had just opened. <laughs> so Mike's standing there with a big plate of curry and rice, okay? And he's also got... Sausage rolls, uh, volivants, cheese and pickles. The buffet was on all night and it was being refilled, but for some reason Mike had all of this like food piled up at the bar. And he was dipping into the curry and everything. Anyway, then in comes Derek Lambias and stands. And I, I'm, I've asked Mike a question. He goes, well, to be honest, Steve, he says, I, I just I run it like I run my shops and, and run Sports Direct. He says, I come in at the start of the season. He says, I'll have a look. I'll see where, where we're at, which division we're in. He says, and I'll, I'll, look at, I'll look at the personnel, I'll see what we're paying out, I'll look at the balance sheet, and then, and then I'll make a few decisions. He says, if we need, if we need to improve, um, he says, I'll, I'll throw a little bit of money at it. He said, that's it. He says, then I'll come back at the end of the season, I'll see where we're at at the end of the season, which division we're in, where we're at, and he says, if, if we've not done well, he said, then, you know, I'll, I'll probably have to put some more money in it. I thought, is this for real? Is, it, is, this, what, is this how you run a football club? It's not. You know, this is our football club, you, you know, you're not, he's, he, he didn't even seem to know the name of players. Anyway, Derek Lambias realised he, he was digging himself a big hole and I was probably going to ask a few more questions. He goes, look, Steve, I don't think this is the time. I think you should, you know, just, just move on, you know. And at that point, Mike had been eating his curry, as had Derek during the conversation. And Derek had spat a bit of gristle out of his, out of his mouth and put it onto this plate that Mike had also put on the bar. So anyway, as, as I'm making, now I'm going to make my excuses and walk away, Mike actually picks the wrong plate up, shovels some more curry sauce onto the gristle that Derek spat out and feeds it into his mouth. Fantastic, like, uh, yeah, exactly. So this is what you're dealing with, but the question was obviously about the man of And we're out of time. Thank you very much. <laughs>
George, on to you. I think I've managed to get away from any embarrassing questions about being a bit. Uh, I missed a very briefly that day for the Liverpool game. I found out she was uh, she was coming to the game, and I did a journalistic thing of hanging around in a place where I thought she might be, and she was. And I met her. Uh, that was very very brief, but after that, uh, kept in touch with people around her, and then uh, obviously when the takeover stuff started happening, I had to do more of that, and then really um, uh, it was the the week when. Um, a spokesman, no, what was it? A source, a Sky Sports, uh, a Newcastle source. Like Ashley. Rang up, rang up Sky Sports and um, said it had all been a massive waste of time and stuff like that. I happened to be in London that week and there was a chance I was going to have a cup of tea with her and I then did have a cup of tea with her and then through that night um, that became an interview. Um, is what was the question? Is she? Is she? The, what's she like? Is she? What do you make the, the job? What do I make? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is she? Re, is she, the she, real she was very. She was very credible. She was very nice. She was very pleasant. Um, uh, I've spent more time in her company than I have in Mike Ashley's company over the last eleven years. That wouldn't be very difficult, as we I think we said last time that uh, with with uh, with Simon. The only way we might be able to get in front of Mike Ashley is by buying shares in Sports Direct and going down to an AGM and asking questions. And um, you know that was a horrible experience. She wants to. She wanted to engage. She was very upset about the suggestion that she was wasting time. And um, she had a she had a big house, a big office near Hyde Park. The only reason I'm saying that is that she's had her kind of credibility questioned. And I'm sure we'll come on to talk about some of this stuff, but you know, at the end of all that, do I know that she's genuine? No, I, I can't possibly answer that question because the way she does. So, for all Mike Ashley's faults, and fuck me, there are a lot of faults. <laughs> he, he he owns a company, so we can check what his company is worth. We can check what he's worth. We can see how many employees he has. There is a track record that we can that we can check, and that doesn't exist with Amanda Stavely and PCP uh, because it's not a company that's based in this country and it doesn't have employees. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an unusual situation. There are, the things that we know is that she has categorically made three bids for Newcastle, and maybe <coughs> something we'll talk about, I don't know. She has categorically uh, taken on Freshfields and, and Chris Mort as her lawyer to engage with Mike Ashley. Uh, Chris Moore, of course, was Mike Ashley's first chairman. Uh, and that was done as a, as a show of good faith. And um, she has engaged people from the NUST up here to other fans and other fans groups. And she has made an attempt to start a conversation about what the club might look like under her ownership. Maybe Maybe we can come on and talk about some of the, some of the, some of the details of that. Mm -hmm. But she came across very well. Um, she, created, she, she And I mean, the thing that I liked about her is that she wants to own Newcastle. And at the moment, Newcastle have an owner, have an owner who, who doesn't want to be here. And that is, and, and that is, that is obvious in, in, in everything that the club does, the way the club behaves, the number of people the club employ. It's a shell. Um, you know the transfer. You know, talk about the transfer. I won't get sidetracked by that. But they did the bare minimum. They've got. It's a club that does the bare minimum. 
and you know she 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 wants it to be a thriving business in the community a business yes but a business that is in, that is engaged in the city and 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 is a thriving business so she talks a good game that isn't the proof and you know the proof comes if and when she buys a football club and if and when she buys a new customer. Okay, thank you. Right, the second question I've got here in front of me is on social media. Luke has hinted that he's frustrated at the Stavely camp for not putting up the money. Why does Luke believe prospective buyers should bow down to the to the greed of Mike Ashley? Right, I realise this is quite a tough gig. Um, <laughs> a bit like being a defence lawyer for a for a serial killer. Um, <laughs> however, so however, I'm going to give it a go. Look, um, Amanda Stavey does a lot of talking. Um, I think my view of her has perhaps been shaped. Uh, well, it's always shaped by the people you talk to. But I remember someone ringing me very soon after she was pictured at the Liverpool game back in October. Um, and said that basically her name in Liverpool is Walter Mitty. Uh, that Liverpool, if you talk to anyone at Anfield, is in the corridors of power there. They don't take her seriously. Uh, they think to put new too fine a point in it, she's a bullshitter. Now, maybe it's shaped a little bit by that, but um, my view of takeovers is you, you know, takeovers that happen don't happen in public. Uh, they don't get, there aren't leaks, there isn't a running commentary of what's happening and what isn't happening. There's been a running commentary from the start with Amanda Stavely. It's all very similar to what she did at Liverpool. Uh, uh, if you remember, she supposedly tried to buy Liverpool twice and failed. Um, it gets to a point where she's trying to buy another football club and is failing. Um, look, I want Mike Ashley gone as much as the next man, woman, child. He's a parasite. He's um, George and I don't like using this phrase, but eventually he has been, he is like a cancer, really, on Newcastle. I want him gone. I'm just cynical. It's my job as a journalist sometimes to, to question two qualities I probably have is cynicism and being a bit of a prick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, my, my whole history, she, she's, done a, she's done a hell of a lot of talking about wanting to buy a football club. And as, some, as this person said to me in Liverpool, it'd be nice if Amanda Stavely actually didn't just talk about wanting to buy a football club, she actually bought one. Um, and this is no... This is no slight on George because, as we discussed at the time, as journalists, it's our it's our job to tell stories, and George told a fantastic one from Amanda Stavely. It was the interview that every single one of us in the North East would have loved to have, but have you ever known a takeover happen when one of the interested parties gives a sit-down interview with a national newspaper halfway through it? No, you haven't. Well, uh, except, except I, I will... I, I, hope, I, hope, I hope you'll get a, a sort of... A, you might not be any wiser, I'm sure you probably won't be any wiser after listening to us, but you might get an insight into how, how difficult it actually is to report on what is happening or not, not happening, because people on both sides of the, uh, of the takeover, as it were, say completely opposite things. So um, I think her, her argument was that she was responding very strongly to, a to, statement. to, to, to the source. Okay, so to play devil's advocate, again, defence lawyer, Mike Ashley was responding to a series of leaks that had come out, and I'm afraid they weren't coming from the Mike Ashley side of things, they were coming from the Amanda Savey side of things. So he felt he was responding to a PR campaign, which was, and this is, this is where I get a little bit angry, we are all desperate for Mike Ashley to go. We are absolutely all desperate to go. My suspicion of Amanda Savey, and, and I really hope I'm wrong, is that she's playing on that desperation. Correct. 
that she wants she wants to mobilise us us all against Mike Ashley so she can get a bargain and get a football club cheaply. We don't know how much money she's got. George did excellent work in getting the breakdown of the bids, but all three of those bids she made, I'm afraid she knew they were going to be rejected. Uh, there's been, you know, do you remember the Curry House meeting? Well, if I can tell you about the Curry House meeting, that wasn't a Curry House meeting that was just the setup. If you speak to people who knew what happened, it was an ambush. There was a professional photographer waiting outside to take a picture of Amanda Stavely and Mike Ashley coming out of the Curry House. Why? Why do you do that? I, I don't know of takeovers that happen in that way. There's two sides of every story uh, yes. as well, Luke, and I think the one, the one thing you've got to remember, and you know, everybody knows, I think it's becoming more and more apparent, that the winners in this are going to be PR gurus, people who get paid for PR, on PCP's side, and on Mike Ashley's side, and there's also going to be lawyers making a lot of money out of this. And it's an ongoing thing. And lawyers make more money. Lawyers make money by the hour. So essentially, it's it's a game. It's a game of cat and mouse between two te- uh, two sides. And I think the one thing everybody in this room knows is Mike Ashley is a liar. And yeah. Yeah. Mike Ashley is a liar, and he's lied and lied and lied for ten years to us about everything. And I can't trust a word the man says. So for me, like uh, our good friend there from the trust has just said. You know, he said he wants to go, and if Amanda needs our help to get him out, let's do it. That's very, you know, good words, but you, you've got to look at the, also look at the reality of the situation. Mike Ashley is his businessman, Amanda Stavely has tried to hustle and bully him. It's proved impossible. If she was serious of buying that with this football club, she would know that's not the way to deal with Mike Ashley. She's known the price since October. What is the price? Who's, who's, who's like value in the club at that? Yeah. Who says that's, the price I'm, is right? I'm not saying the price is right. She's saying the price is right. She's saying the price is right. I knew this was a tough gig, but you have to understand, you can sit there and want Amanda Stavely to be genuine. I want Amanda Stavely to be genuine. She hasn't made an acceptable bid to buy I the football club. I want the price to be genuine. But what is the price? Nobody knows what the price is. She hasn't met it, has she? Nobody's met it. She hasn't met it because hasn't said what the price is. We all, wrote a story, we all wrote a story before Christmas, if you remember. Everyone in the press said she'd bid £300 million and the deal was going to be close. You all remember reading that, weren't you? Mm-hmm. It was a lie. It wasn't true. It wasn't true. We were lied to as journalists by, I'm afraid, people connected to Amanda Stavely, not Mike Ashley. So, a, story Mike, was, a story that was stood up by the club as well. Well, there was a bid, but not £300 million. It, well, was, never, it was never £300 million. If she'd have bid £300 million up front, the club would be hers so, now. Something That's happened. what I'm told. So, something, never happened. something happened in mid-December. Never happened. Something happened in mid-December, and I don't know what that I don't know what that was. I haven't got to the bottom of that. And it does, it makes us look stupid. It makes yeah, it all makes us all look stupid, because we were lied to by um, people to do with her. Well, that, I'll say that again. That story was stood up by the club. Not so, £300 million. No, but she, she by that point, she'd... she'd She'd submitted two bids. One was worth three fifty. We all wrote three hundred million. The deal is close. It wasn't true. Yeah, and that well, all came from her. I've, side. I've seen an email from someone. Uh, I have to be careful. From someone on, on, on her on her side that uh, very senior is about saying a deal is done, or I think we can do a deal, and that was actually a deal at two. At the, the deal at two fifty. I don't know where the three hundred thing came from. Everyone leapt on it at the same time, and that was bad information. And we. On that exact, on that occasion, we let you down, and I, and I certainly apologise for. Nothing to apologise for. Everyone wrote it. It was just you know yeah, we, no, you can I, only I, go I, on who you talk to. Yeah, yeah, but I don't look, if I Amanda Stavely, my point is, and I've, I've put this concisely, if Amanda Stavely wanted to buy that football club, she could have bought that football club. If she had the money she says she has, she could have bought that football club. She hasn't done it. 
If you haven't done it, it's the echoes of the Liverpool thing. It's exactly the same. There's been a lot of talk, a, lo a lot of noise. I'm not bigging Mike up. I can't stand the bloke. No, bring your mic up. It's a technical My whole view is if she if she was she's made a lot of noise. She seems genuine. She's done everything right in terms of meeting it. You know, she, she met she met the spirit of Shanky people at Liverpool. She did exactly the same thing. She never managed to buy Liverpool. At some point, you're going to have to give Mike Ashley what he wants for the football. It's a basic rule of business. You're not going to hustle him by doing a PR campaign it's a, it's a basic rule. to get rid of him. It's not going to work. It's a fundamental rule of business. Mike Ashley's not going to sell at a loss to himself. Well, 250 million is a loss to himself. I, I found it interesting today. I mean, is it Chris Watt who wrote the piece tonight, Mark, um, in the Chronicle about from Dr. Tom Markham? Now, he's commenting. Now, from my research, Dr. Tom Markham is actually uh, on the payroll of Mike Ashley with Mash Holdings. Now, you might want to check this out, but... I thought he was supposed to be impartial, but he's he's actually quoted tonight saying that there's six potential bidders and that there's um, that there's, that there's somebody still doing due diligence. That was in the article tonight. But it's not you who wrote it, it's Chris Watt. But I'm just I'm pointing something out here. I'm pointing something out here, I'm trying to level the playing field. You know, we've got a serial killer defendant yet. What I'm trying to what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that if Tom Martin if Tom Martin is actually on my rule allegedly, if he's doing a bit of graft for them and, and pushing that stuff out, then this is what I'm trying to say. It's a level he's not yet a defendant, but it's a level it's a level playing field. There's a PR team here, a PR team here, everyone's having a go. And they might have leaked this, they might have leaked that. But at the end of the day, as George quite rightly put out there, three bids, she is interested. If, if Mike had said, yes, I'll accept that, we would have had a deal done. We're now into February, transfer windows closed, HMRC, um, obviously still to be decided, transfer window closed, so we know where we're at with that. TV deal to come in in the middle of February, we might know where we are by the end of February. The sad thing is, it shows you how powerless we all are in a way. I mean, I wrote this ages ago, that yeah. we're basically prisoners to two massive business egos trying to bully each other, trying to hustle each other yeah. around the negotiating table. My frustration is if Amanda Stavely had bought that club before this January transfer window, as she said she wanted to do, and that's when the bids went in, we wouldn't have been having this discussion about free loan signings coming in, supposedly. We'd be having discussions about a squad being improved, about Rafa Benitez being happier, about the club having a better chance of staying in the Premier League. For whatever reason around this power struggle, this ego, and I call it a battle of egos because... She is, she is ego-driven as well. It's not just Mike. Mike. Look, I can't say this enough. Mike actually is a prick. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying anything other than that. But I just want, I just want someone to come and buy this football club and be genuine about wanting to do it. And just do it. Just do the deal and tell him to fuck off. Yeah. So, so, and that, that, is, that, is a, that is a point. You have to say something eventually. That is a question that I asked of her. So, is is, and it's a question that, that gets asked a lot. It's look, if you really want this club, surely you just you just do it. You just you put the money down and you and you and you and you get on with it and you get them out and start again. So, the way that she answered that is that firstly that they they have done. 20 odd years worth of research on the books and this is the value so say the last bid the last bid was 250 million pound all in one go cash benitez stays 
I made a mistake in the thing that I put in the paper. There is an H HMRC clause. Um, there's no relegation clause. It's 250 million on the nose. Her opinion is that the club could be worth 350 million or 300 million, but it's going to take 100 million pounds worth of improvements to get there because for the last 11 years the club has just been left in limbo. So I won't, I won't go back into that kind of rant, but there has been no improvement of facilities in Newcastle over the last decade. And so that takes money. The other point is that it is an investment. So it's a long-term investment, she says, but it's an investment that at some point has a return. That's the idea. So if you put an extra 50 million quid in that you don't think it's worth, it's going to take you longer to get your investment back. And again, the other thing, she's put more of her, she says, be careful what I say, again, she says, she claims, she's putting in more of her money into this bid than would normally happen in the kind of deals that she says she does, because it's high risk, football's high risk, there's no guarantee you make your money back. And because of the size of the bid, because it's relatively small compared, again, to the size of the deal she says she normally does, she hasn't got the same level of investor interest than she would if it was something worth 800 million, for example. So it's a different, it's a different, it's a different kind of deal. And again, it's this thing that was mentioned at the start, Ashley and, and the people that run the club for him, they can't have it both ways. They can't say 300 million and that's it. That's the valuation. A valuation is a movable feast. You can say your house is worth, hang on a sec, you can say your house is worth 300,000 pounds, 300,000 pounds, but you then find that the roof's fucked or whatever. And the other thing, but he can't have it both ways. He can't say it's 300, take it or leave it, and nothing. And then put in 13 million fucking quid for Nikolai Jorgensen when Benitez goes in and tells them that it costs 20 million. It costs 20 million. I agree with you totally. I agree with you totally on that point. But, no, because another thing, the, 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 uh, just finally, sorry, I just said this. Amanda Slater said she's going to put 200 million in to the football club. That's why she can't pay the asking price now. Why not use some of that 200 million that you're going to invest ahead of a new television deal when there's going to be more money coming in and use 50 million of that to pay the asking price and then you still have 150 million pounds for investment but then you have more television money coming in. Just delay that improvement by six months a year and pay the asking price. Look, Mike Ashley, again, I'll say it again, he's a prick, right? He, he does want it both ways. He does do that stupid thing in the transfer market where Amanda Savey's trying to play him at his own game, effectively, but it hasn't worked. And that's my frustration. That is my frustration. It hasn't worked. Her plan, her method of attack, her means of trying to get the football club has failed. And we all, and I use media and supporters, are now effectively left in limbo and stuck with Mike Ashley after four months of a lot of talk of wanting to buy Newcastle United. I just wonder how you can call her a time waster when he's on holiday. I'm not used the word time waster. Well, you've alluded to it being called Walter Mitty by Liverpool Football Club. When he's gone on holiday in the middle of these negotiations to sell the club, nothing else to do with it. Yes, but the talks are over by that point. There haven't been any talks since end of November. There's been there's been no contact. There's been no negotiations. There are no, no contact since mid December. Yeah, she, she has large bids. So yes, she, she has le she has large bids, but bids that weren't accepted. And they were never going to be acceptable. And she knew. Is that. evaluation on in should that not be an independent thing? Should that be brought by an independent yeah. body? It's a privately owned business. It's like putting, as again, you use the house analogy. You can say, well, I put the house up on the sale for 300,000, nobody's bid it. You'll take it off the market. It's barely a Premier League club at the minute. It's 
like just clinging on by a thread. You know, yes. It does need that investment. I, I think we're throwing words around quite easily here. We're asking a serious businesswoman to throw around another hundred million pounds of money and saying, oh, if you want the club, just buy it. I don't think it's quite as simple as that. Well, she's not going to get the football club. Should be saying then she's not going to get the football club. So this is all, the whole thing has been meaningless. That's my point. That's my point. Unless she does it, she's not going to get the football club. So it's been four months of a lot of chat. So on that, guys, I'm going to say, I'm going to come to the floor for questions at the end of, of these questions. So just hold your breath. Um, why do you think Amanda Stavely and PCP want to buy Newcastle United? And what is different about this? Bid and a bid to buy Liverpool. It's a lot cheaper, and it's got it's got a lot of potential. And I think she sees that she's a northern lass, so I know she's not from the, the streets of Biker and of Benwell. But you know, a family you know have got you know northern roots. She wants to come back here. That was the feeling that I got, you know, from her. Um, and I, and I just think it's a breath of fresh air. But let's face it, anybody who came in, you know, anybody with any business now who came to St James's Park. And, and put a little bit of time and effort in and, and had a bit of passion about it and listened and worked with supporters like the supporters trust and listened to people and worked with people like war flags and, and you know honestly it, it, it doesn't it's not rocket science everybody in this room knows you know we're not we're not expecting to be champions league winners overnight you know we just want a team that wins and competes and you know makes we're proud you know what I mean? And we'll go to the match and it's an enjoyable experience because for the last 10 years it's just been, it's just been awful, you know? And I'm sorry, so well, I, think, I think we'd all much rather be having a chat in five years' time about how awful Amanda Stavely's been than having another chat in five years' <laughs> exactly. time about how shit my chat has been. Um, so, yes, uh, to, to echo that, I mean, I think obviously they've done their research, they see Newcastle as the only Premier League club from, you know, this, in this half of the country all the way down to Burnley, so there's a big catchment area, there is huge potential in terms of uh, producing their own players if they fucking got their act together and started doing that. Um, there is, uh, there's this idea that it comes with investment into the city, and there's uh, that there's potential there, and I mean, it's it's a business. I mean, it's it's seen as a business opportunity, and so you you make you make the club grow, you make it more valuable. Uh, it's a long-term business opportunity, and um, but the way you do that, I mean, so so Mike Ashley has got got the club to a position where it's not hemorrhaging money anymore, but at the same time, it's not doing anything to generate its own money. So everything's been outsourced. The staff has been cut back to the absolute quick. I probably said this. I probably said this at the last one of these that when Newcastle went down last time, they didn't have to sack people because there was no one left to sack. There was no one left to sack. There was no flesh left on the bone. So that's that's fine, except that it should be generating its own money. I mean, commercially, it's bringing in less money now than it was a, a decade ago. So there's huge potential there to improve. And then. The other part, so that, that's the kind of business side of it, but there's also the opportunity to be, to be a good citizen. And this is something that she's, that she's talked about when we were chatting. That, you know, if, for example, the, the, the council are having a, having a campaign about anti-obesity, why aren't the club involved in that? I mean, why aren't the club helping to promote that? And that to me seems like, so, or the food bank, I mean, they've done very well on the food bank, so we have to, have to give them great credit yeah. for that, they've helped, and they've brought into that. But why isn't that stuff, that, why isn't that kind of stuff happening every day? Why aren't, why aren't they, why aren't they a part of theatre and music? Why aren't they pr promoting all those things, getting foundation, anyway. So, it's seen, it's seen that the club should be a vehicle to making the city better, and make, by making the city better, 
there will be investment and there will be building work and stuff like that. And I think it's seen as a kind of holistic, holistic approach. There's potential, and of course we've been talking about potential, but God knows how many. Sure. And do we think Mike actually really wants to sell the club? Does he want to sell? Uh, no, I don't think he does. I think he just likes making money in general. At the minute, uh, it's making quite a bit of profit. I think the only area he hasn't made profit is when we're relegated. So I'm surprised to see there wasn't more, a little bit more investment in this transfer window to protect his asset. Mm -hmm. Seems to be the only thing that speaks to him. And then, obviously, the lads have got a lot more knowledge on the takeover than I have. The reason I was put here was to kind of um, suggest what would happen if he didn't sell the club. Um, obviously, we've had the flags out, which have been great. But really, other than that, the only thing that speaks to him actually is money. Um, and all we can do is vote with our feet and, and not attend the match. I think that's going to be a very unpopular motion, given that this room is full of diehard fans who are willing to come and spend their Thursday night talking about it. Um, all we can do is try and hit him in his pocket and, and not turn up the matches. I mean, um, the Man City game, for example, it was 60-odd quid, 64, 65 quid for a Padre ticket, if you're not a season ticket holder. And that was effectively to see a championship team camp in their own box and try and not let a cricket school happen. Um, for me, that's not value for money. The rest of my Ashley's business seem to be about value for money. For me, for me, I just want to reiterate what Colin had said before, and it's you know Rangers is almost like a blueprint. You know, we um, you know I think there'll be meetings held in, in due course, but I think you know targeting Sports Direct is the way forward. You know, it's the one thing he cares about, Absolutely. and he doesn't care about Newcastle United, not bad about anything else. But sports, sports direct his baby, and that's the one thing that he cares about. And you know, sensibly, you know, without any, uh, without any malice, you know, we're not talking about, you know, anything criminal. But I just think it, it, a serious amount of thought needs to go into the sports direct route, and that's something that can be discussed. I'm sure. Yeah. Forward, I mean, know? we do a lot of talking, but realistically, he's holding up a shop on Northumberland Street. That's a disgrace for, for like a fan base that's supposed to be so loyal and so outspoken. We're all in there. Like yeah. I bought which from there. What like what we're fucking playing at? Like we'll <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, if the flags get banned, you might as well all stand up and say sports direct for three hours on a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, that'll show up changes his mind. He's already got the most iconic part of the city, which is the stadium. Do you know what I mean? And we can't let him like have another piece of all of all kind of territory, which is and, and the other thing the other thing is that he's I mean, I'm not saying he thinks this consciously, but he's pretty much proved that he can he can do absolutely whatever he wants and people will still come to the games and that's both very moving that you know it's your club you should go to games and it's your heritage it's not his heritage it's your history it's your family all those things it's also in some ways it's kind of quite sad because he he has that he has that hold and although i think there's been a lot of very worthy ideas about boycotts and and, and not going to matches you shouldn't have to give that up I mean, because that is that is you, and that's who you are. I know there's a lot of people. I'm I'm, I'm 47, and there's a lot of people in my generation, mates of mine, who've um, who've uh, who've stopped going, and that's you know that happens in life, and people get families and move and all that. But I know a lot of people who've gone through that and found it very painful, but they've been replaced by other people. So. You know, I think this idea that people will stop going to games just doesn't exist. And they shouldn't happen. They shouldn't happen at some point. We hold the world record for the highest attendance outside of a top flight of football, and I don't know whether that's a badge of honour or it makes us look like absolute mugs under this chairman for the past ten years. What I'd, yeah. Sorry, what I'd say about the boycott is the one time I know or we know in the media that he's been genuinely stung into action was the Spurs boycott, uh, and you'll remember they were the fourth net highest spenders in Europe the following season. Uh, I think it was the season they went down, unfortunately. It probably didn't do wonders for high cashies and approach the things. But, however, I've also the boycott. I think the thing is that with, with a boycott, I, I agree with you. 
but I have this kind of sinking feeling of now is not the time with the team in the position it's in and I don't think it would be what Rafa wants at the moment. This is the, this is always the dilemma we have. This is always the dilemma we have. Is that Rafa wouldn't want that at the moment. I think this is something that maybe, maybe does need to happen, but I think it almost needs to be part until the end of this season because the most important thing now to keep hold of Rafa, if Newcastle go down, Rafa's gone. If they stay up, there's a chance he stays. And I think we all, we all, and we are, we, we're all behind Rafa in the media and I know the supporters are, but I do think we do to do one of George's favourite Newcastle dots United. We have to stay. We have to stay that, and we have to keep behind the team now because they really do need us more than ever at the moment. And so, and, and, and Rafa won't want a boycott at the minute. But further down the line, maybe yes. Very very quickly to answer that question about whether Mike Ashley actually wants to sell. Amanda Stapley asked me that question when I was interviewing it, and I think in some ways that says it all. This is allegedly the third time that he's tried to sell it, and. He's not doing a very good job of selling it, is he? She asked that herself. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So there's no evidence. There's no evidence that he's desperate to sell, is there? I think because I he's, think, trying, he's, trying, think, he's trying to do it a few times. times remember, I mean, I've, I've gone on about this on social media, but the copy of United magazine, which we all got for about three issues when Mike Ashley took over, that interview where he gave about an eight-page interview. The key line in there is, "I've bought Newcastle United to promote my sports brand globally." That's what he says in that interview. And that's all Mike Ashley bought Newcastle United for to promote Sports Direct globally. Once he's done that, you know, he's, he's achieved his goal. All these protests have to be thought out in, in a sense because what happens? He changes the name of the ground. What, what, what's, on, what's on Sky Sports? Mike Ashley, owner of Sports Direct, is a loggerhead with the fans. It's just Sports Direct, Sports Direct. The longer it's in the news, it's free advertising. We're, we're promoting his business by protesting. The Coffin March, right, which was done with the right intentions by Mike Ashley Out's campaign, right, was all about Sports Direct at the end of it, all the publicity. There was two of those. I, I took part the first one. The second one was done... You know, I know it embarrassed a lot of fans and apologies for, for that, but it was done with the right intentions. And the sports direct thing, just, it's, it's all, it's because Mike Ashley just, he's very clever in that sense. He knows how to market his business because he causes chaos at our football club and he knows we'll all react. So the only thing you can do is, hey, get some publicity if we're, if we're affecting his business, though. That's, that's the difference. If it should be affecting our enjoyment of going to support our team, it's going to be, it's our team and it always will be. And our Sorry, we're tossing around a bit here, but if he's tried and failed to select three times, then maybe that shows he's asking for too much money. Yeah. Right, guys, are there any other interested parties in buying our club? Somebody said there was six uh, six people not, interested. I mean, is that true? Is that six people on the there's table? There's been interest in that people might have made a phone call and had a look at it, and there's been conversations, but it's never gone to the PCP level of... Sorry, no, so there are there are other interested parties. It was said to me, as soon as Stavely came in, there was an idea that everyone else held back. I don't think that was actually right. There were still people talking, but nobody's gone further down the line. I'm told now there's absolutely no chance of anything happening until the summer again if Newcastle stay up keep Rafa there's another chance to take over might happen in the summer if they go down no chance for takeover no chance of keeping hold of Rafa no there's no I, I, I'm not I'm really not aware of anything that's substantive at all in the background apart from PCP uh, their 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 the last communication with the Ashley camp was was whatever it was mid mid December I think it was 14th December 5th something like that and that was them saying that they'd had a 
mysterious bidder who was prepared to pay... Paul Derrick. Who was prepared to pay... <laughs> who was prepared to pay a billion, a billion dollars. Uh, who was prepared to pay 300 or 350, I can't remember. Um, and, but if that doesn't materialise, can we come back to you? Um, yes, please come back to us. And they've heard nothing, but it's... That's, it's it's not going to happen to the summer. It's not, it's not going to happen to the summer. Now. Everyone's waiting to see whether they go down or not. So. Right. Any questions of the floor? Gentlemen over here. What is your question? On the rich list, Man City, Man United. Hang on one second. Oh. <coughs> Top six. Uh, rich list, Man United, Man City, can Newcastle ever be in the rich list? Uh, not without a new owner. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, they're, they're a million miles away from that at the minute, aren't they? And they've, they were there. They were there 20 years ago. They were there, you know, they were, they were, they were regulars there in terms of the, the wealth. I mean, the, the, I think it was Colin that made the made the analogy with with Tottenham, was it? Um, and that's a you know that's a great one. Um, but you know you, you look at the you look at the expense that teams are, are spending on their squads now. And um, to give some little insight, I think that I think that I think the idea was if if PCG have got it, they got the club before the transfer window. The idea was that they were putting 30 million in January for new players and then uh, 70 in the summer, which that's that's not bad. That's obviously thirty million more than they spent uh, spent spent in January. But it's not it's not going to make Newcastle Man City in the short term. But it's about gradually building it up, and then hopefully there's more and more money. I mean, to get into the top six is takes colossal investment, and each year that goes past, Newcastle are getting further and further away. So. You know, I think there is a degree of urgency. They need, you know, they need. You know, you know, you look at, you look at the teams at the bottom of the table and what they've spent in January. I think I find that quite frightening. Doesn't mean that they're good signings, of course. So that's another part of it. But um, Newcastle did the bare minimum, and in my opinion, and. Um, what's the point I'm trying to say? God knows. Big thing about your interview with George was the, the, the academy and the fact that PCD yeah. were looking at investment in the academy because it's shocking. Our academy yeah, is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know to get, a, to get an academy which produces jolly players coming through. We've got some fantastic local football clubs. The Northern League, you know, it's it, every time we go to the FA Vars, you know, it's a Northern League team winning it and there's, there's so much wealth that we're doing tap into and that's down to the owner again, it's down to the lack of interest in local and, football. And, the, and you know, the training ground, the training ground is, is embarrassing, I don't know how many people have been there, but I mean it's embarrassing compared to, to Brighton's for example, I've been around Brighton and they, they've, they've spent shitloads on the training ground, I can't remember, 20 million or whatever it was, and they've got, they've got, they've got countless pitches, they've got wonderful facilities, if you get shown around there in their stadium, yeah, of course you want to sign for them. Now, you know, Newcastle are kind of Newcastle are relying on two things. They're relying on fifty-two thousand people, which is a great draw, obviously, but they're also relying on on Rafa. But it's not, it's you know, it's not fair. They, they they have to be able to kind of show off a modern pool and modern facilities and all that kind of stuff, and they are. Yes, they're light years behind. Yeah. Light years. Behind. Sunderland have got a better training ground. Sunderland have got a much better. Sunderland got a brilliant training ground. Middlesbrough have got an absolutely fantastic. Middlesbrough have got an absolutely fantastic training ground. Yeah. 
Well, a really good training ground, a purpose built training ground. Yeah, I mean, it's been Right, thanks, guys. Moving on, we've got another question off the floor here. Uh, probably into George, really, with your uh, interview with Amanda. Um, sort of two questions. One, do you think Rafa knows what Amanda's about in terms of. Do you think he's hanging about because he thinks Amanda's going to come through and he can build the dream that he wants to build? Because I think Rafa's got a plan for Newcastle. Secondly, Going to the bid between 250 and 300 million quid, as far as I've read from Amanda, the reason why the Arabs like it is because it's got that Yorkshire lass, don't pay too much for what you need to do. So do you think from your interview, Amanda's playing a bit tight because she just wants to play the value as opposed to paying the fat man what he thinks he wants? And do you think that's a game of poker that's going on? So, I'll try. I'll be trying to be very, very brief. We've talked about the public nature of this. How this has happened. So, what I think happened there, or what I'm told is what happened there, is that this was part of people who were close to her trying to persuade her to buy Newcastle. So she very publicly came to that Liverpool game, and she saw it, and she, she was blown away by it, and that was what persuaded her that Newcastle was the club she wanted to try and buy. So that first part of it has been public. Now, normally, normally you would say. This is, goes against all the rules, as, as Luke says. You don't find out who serious bidders are in clubs until they actually do it. That's always been the lesson, and that's been the lesson of people who were who were with with her uh, in the past, who've been involved with with other attempts to buy the club. Um, no, I mean, I, I, is she is she being tight? I mean, I think she she has her own valuation of the of the club. I think the, the way it was put to me by someone close to her was that. This kind of stuff happens in business all the time. It happens in boardrooms all the time. People walk off the table, tell tell the other party to fuck off. I'm not doing business with you. But then they come back and then they talk again, and there's a process. So what we're seeing is just this being played out in public. And I kind of think that's that's unfortunate. But it's how it started and it's how it's and how it's carrying on. And I mean, I don't know whether this is a this is a question, but it's important to say to to say it. They haven't gone away. And come back. Yes. Really? Yes. She. Oh, she. I mean, she. I mean, I've. I've kept in contact with her since. Since I've seen her, and she is committed. She's committed to buying a football club, and this is the football club that she wants to buy. So, the 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 announcement of the next broadcast deal is crucial because theoretically the value of the club will go up if it's a Premier League club. I think that's crucial. I think there's a, that that will be within a couple of weeks. I think. So, my. This is now my. Guess my guesstimate. I think there's a window there for a bid, but we're then getting very close to the end of the season. And if you know, she 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 has said if the club go down, then the the value of it is half immediately. Do you so, think Rafa's hanging about because he knows more that's going on than we do? Rafa's Rafa's not a stupid man. He's a very he's a very clever man, and I'm sure he he does have a sense. Of, my, my, my huge fear, I mean, and, and he, is, he is absolutely crucial to the stable bid. I mean, he is part of it. And a clause, in, a clause in each of the bids has been that they get him to sign another contract. So he is seen as absolutely pivotal, and she was quoted on the record saying that. My, my real, Rafa's is under contract for another season, so, and there is the penalty clause, blah, 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 whatever happens in the summer to that, I don't know. But my, my real fear with Rafa is that he is day day by day that goes past. He's being diminished. He's being diminished as a manager, and he's being diminished as a fella. 
And I find that really sad because he came to Newcastle because of those very old-fashioned things like potential history, stature, size, wow, 52,000 people. This could be something very special. And this could be a big club. And they behaved at every turn like a small club. And that, that is my fear, that that's not, that's, you know, they're not delivering what we saw. And so, so to answer that question, um, if there's a takeover, there's a very good chance he stays. If there's not, then I would fear. I would fear for, fear for what happens. I don't think we've heard the last of Amanda Stavely. Do I think a bit of takeover will happen with her? No. Sorry. Just my personal feelings. More questions? Last question of this set? Oh, a couple of eager hands down here. I know this is harsh, but one word answer, who will be the owner in August? Ashley or Stavely? <laughs> I didn't believe Amanda Stavely would buy Newcastle United. Oh, God. Ashley. Ashley. I'm afraid. Sorry. I'm firmly of the belief that nothing good ever happens. <laughs> Is that your... Is that yeah, my Ashley is well, unfortunately. Yeah. I hope, I hope so. I hope so. I got really excited. When, I really, I got really excited when I thought Daniel Sturridge was going to sign. I got, I got, I was, I was happy for about three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? I'm feeling. It's like, oh, that would be really optimism. What is it? You can never, you can never second guess my Ashley. That's no. that's the problem with my Ashley. Believe it when you see it. Well, I think that's, I think that's the message, isn't it? Really, that we all take away. That I think we've all, we've all been on this roller coaster ride of this takeover. None of us really know what's going on. George has been in a very privileged position to go and actually meet Amanda, and that's, that's as you say, crazy to actually go and actually interview somebody who's involved in a potential takeover. But that's what you expect with Mike Ashley. Um, but I guess it's you know, is, what, it, what are his what are his intentions? You let to believe he wants to move away to America and and potentially you know set up out there. He's probably following David Beckham's academy to set up a tap shop out there and you know, you know sells some Beckham shirts off the back of David's academy in Miami. But listen, we'll, we'll, we'll you know we'll know a few. I think we'll know again as you see. I'm I'm confident you know from from what I've I got out of my meeting with that I feel that there will be this another bit you know yeah she has but I, I think i think probably the best way to deal with it as a fan is be like luke you know expect nothing expect nothing to happen but i'll tell you what if it does happen we all know we'll have a big party yeah one really really this question hello uh i'm called I, I, i'm sorry to uh <coughs> take myself away from uh, the lads who are local just want to answer Ask a question of Luke and George. It's you've, you've been answering questions, you know, the ephemeral sort of thing, you know, about the um, uh, what we believe, you know, and what we hope. I'm asking a question about what you know, right? Oh, so, Christ. Jesus, we're bluffing for half an hour. Bearing in mind, bearing in mind, we've got hearts like lines that scored and scarred. Right, uh, from everything that's happened to it. But I want to know, you know, you're being London journalist and everything else. I just want you to tell me if you don't know. George is from. Yes, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. But you're a national journalist, right? Sorry to put it that way. Okay. 
So there's that, there is that, Newcastle still has a reputation 
but the reputation is not what I've wanted to be. I've won that reputation to be playing brilliant football and being successful and, and challenging for trophies and being in Europe and all those kind of things. But the reputation is that there is this slow motion car crash going on. And on repeat. On repeat. Yeah. And I'm expected to kind of pick the bones out of it. And, and you know, I joked about writing the same thing, but I do feel like that. I do feel like it's the same thing. Year, year upon year upon year, you know, we're going through these transfer windows where you know, nothing is happening effectively, or very little is happening, and it's, you know, I could, have, I could have just recycled what I wrote 12 months earlier, or six months, six months earlier. There is this grisly fascination with Newcastle, but it's not, it's not for what it should be, which is a magnificent, historical, wonderful, beautiful, demented, ridiculous, gorgeous, black and white, bastard. Very briefly <laughs> Newcastle's web hits on our website are more than Manchester City, uh, more than Tottenham, uh, and I was told by my boss when I first mentioned the Telegraph from the journal, Newcastle United will always keep you in a job. So. Hey, hey. Right. Come on ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for our fantastic second panellist, George Luke Stevenson. At the end of this session, we're going to take some questions off the floor, and those questions are going to be available to whatever journalists are left at the end of the evening, so you can ask those questions to anybody who's around. Hello? Is anyone alright? Hello. Hey, it was getting a little bit heated before. It was brilliant, wasn't it? I was a bit scared. It was brilliant. I thought we were going to have a fight. I know. I had, I had skinchies. Skinchies. Right, well, introduce yourselves, guys and gals. I'm Louise Taylor from The Guardian. Mark Douglas from The Journal and Chronicle. I'm Alex Hurst, the editor of True Faith Fanzine. I'm Simon Campbell, I do a podcast for the lights on the Fanzine. Thank you very much. Right, the first question. Do the panel think Rafa Benitez regrets coming in Newcastle United? Has he ever been surprised by the, the negligence and lies of the owner? So, ooh, I, Start fast, all right. um, no, I don't think he regrets it one, one bit. I think he knew exactly what he was coming into uh, as, in terms of a football club. I think uh, I was told the day that he signed by somebody who knows his lawyers that um, he'd gone through the contract with a fine-tooth comb. That's why the contract is structured as it is. We've made a big thing about uh, this break clause, which exists on both sides. But I think Rafa did that partly because, you know, if there was any funny business... You know, they, would, they would have to pay him as well because he, he knows what, what happened. So I think he knew what he was coming into. I think that he he always felt that Newcastle had the potential to be a kind of Liverpool, if you will, and, and a project that he could work on, a project that he could grow. I still think he still believes that within himself. I mean, in the summer, he was talking about that. He was talking about winning things. And, and I think he's been more dismayed than anything. Um, surprised by the negligence of the owner? Well, yeah, because... He came into it, he believed last two summers ago 
he got the word that you know what Rafa wants, Rafa gets. He had a plan for two windows. I mean, we've talked about it before. He had uh, players lined up last winter who would have been Premier League players for Newcastle United. Um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, uh, Andros Townsend on a permanent, um, and he's doing really well for Palace at the moment. So he believed that he had this long-term, um, this long-term sort of project. And I think he was as surprised as anybody when last January we had Graham Carr start to get involved again. Um, this idea that um, his signings were starting to be doubted. You know, why have he signed him? He's, he's not going to. He's got no sell on. You know, it was all these kind of petty politics and things. And I think he thought. Um, at that point that that was going to be a hopefully a short-term thing and it was going to be we can convince him again you saw again in the summer um, after they won the title there was the you know the picture of him Mike Ashley and Lee Charney with the trophy I think he felt again that you know I can energize I can re-energize this guy he said that to us you know that I can re-energize I can I can convince him I've going I'm going to go there with a business plan I'm going to talk his language you know we've spoken about it here um, I'm going to I'm going to make money for him and I think what's really dismayed him is the idea that uh, what does this guy want? What am I meant to do here? I, I, I'm not asking for millions, you know. Uh, the targets that he had in the summer were not, you know, multi-million pound players. They were guys who would come in and do a job for him in the positions that he wanted. But he, he, for some reason, Mike Ashley just doesn't seem to want to listen to that. And I think that's why in the summer... Um, it's going to be very difficult for him to believe anything that he's told by Mike Ashley. But I think, and I don't know whether the other guys agree with this, I think he is looking for any reason to believe in this project and to stay here. You know, he, he could have walked away numerous times, but he doesn't want to. He wants to stay here. He believes it's the best job for him. Yeah, he's cute. Yeah, he's political. He knows that this is a good job. He knows that he's not getting as much criticism here as he would have done at other clubs where, you know, because the results have been mixed this season. He knows that, you know, he's not stupid, but he wants to be here. And the most impressive thing for me is you've got this guy here who's basically saying, look, just, it's not, it's not make, give me a reason to stay, it's just don't give me a fucking reason to leave. Do you know what I mean? And that's basically what he sat there saying. slightly underestimated is how much of a high-stakes gambler Mike Ashley is. And he's a high-stakes gambler in his personal life. He likes a bet. And he is in his business life. And I think he, he hadn't realised that he would take such risks in, with relegation. And he almost enjoys flirting, dallying with perhaps going down. And so I think this is the one thing that, that Rafa, with his pragmatism and his business plans, and he's calculated everything to the fine detail, he thought it could be a meeting, a peculiar meeting of minds, that although opposites in many ways, they could not be soulmates, make a connection, but, but Ashley, as Steve said, you can't second-guess him, and this gambling streak, I think, can't be underestimated. Um, the sad thing is that so many ingredients are right here, the size of the club, the support, the area, it's very much Rafa's type of city. If you look at Liverpool, Naples, Valencia, Madrid, there's common common ingredients and, and I think he's very happy and as Mark said he desperately, desperately wants to make it work and he's he's also hoping, I think, hoping almost against hope that the takeover might go through and he, and he can stay because I think he'd, he'd feel it was a missed opportunity. I, I always remember when, when he was in charge of Chelsea and they lost at St James's Park, talking to him in the, in the Monday's press conference where you go in the corridor outside, 
um, and he was sort of looking around, and I think then, I thought, gosh, you'd like this job, you'd like to manage this club, and here he is, but sadly, let's, let's not waste him. Yeah. yeah I can't add anything um, more in terms of whether he regrets coming here or not. Um, the only thing I say that worries me, we were fortunate as True Faith to be invited in the numerous uh, numerous times last season to meet him, and this is a guy who hates losing um, with a passion. He was kind of scared me a little bit when he was talking about losing football matches, and this is a guy who sees Antonio Conte, for example, as a contemporary, someone who loves to do battle with someone, someone he would see as at his level, um, and for us to go to Chelsea in the FA Cup or in the league and put in such a tepid performance. Not that I'm blaming the players or the manager in the second half wasn't great, but we played all right in the first half and we're still rubbish and comfortably even in 2-0 down on that. I totally agree with everything these guys have said here, but long term, as if this continues, I don't think Rafa Benitez, like all of us who enjoyed last night, no one, even at 1-0, it's so tense, it's so nerve-wracking, it's this is a guy who's used to winning football matches and the longer that he isn't provided with the correct tools to be able to even to compete against the majority of the sides in the league, I would I would worry about him and his affection for the club, which you guys are completely right about. But there has to be some give and take. It can't just be great fans, great city, great stadium, all this kind of stuff. The longer that we go on, going to Man United, getting turned over 4-1, going to Arsenal and doing all right for 60 and conceding, it's, it, that's not Rafa Benitez and it's not going to last forever. Thank you, thank you. Um, question for Louise. Um, how is Rafa perceived with your colleagues in the national press? And is there more interest in NUFC as a result of, of Rafa being here? Uh, you mean that my national colleagues, not, not just in the North East, because I mean, we, we all respect him here. I think, I think he is respected across the country. I think... Some, there's an element of, of cynicism in some quarters, perhaps perhaps in London. I think he is a politician, as we know, a master politician, but that is perhaps slightly hyped up, and and they can perhaps sort of detect political nuances that maybe even Rafa himself hasn't thought of. Um, I thought that Rafa would have raised the profile of Newcastle even higher, but I think you need the players to go with that, and because results have been so disappointing. I think whoever the manager is, I think Jose Mourinho would find that his his stock dipped if, if you're working in, in these circumstances. So there's, there's several factors. But yes, I think I think it's different from having Steve McLaren in charge. Thanks, Louise. Well, I'm having a bit of technical trouble here. Um, it was reported that Rafa Benitez spoke to Mike Ashley on the phone this week. Is this a sign of a dysfunctional football club and did Rafa feel he had to go over Lee Charlie's head? Well, it's definitely a dysfunctional football club. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I was speaking to somebody last week who said to me, you know, it's kind of like a house of cards. It looks fantastic from the outside, but you've got all these kind of things bubbling away in the background that you know the, the, the tax case which is which is going to be huge and you know we keep forgetting about how how you know potentially significant that is you've got um, the Peter Beersley thing at the moment that it's kind of bubbling away in the background you've got uh, this managers thing that's bubbling away the takeover as well and you know I think for me that's that's 
that's the problem that we, we have a football club that supposedly, and I think Colin mentioned it before, that supposedly hit run here. It's, it's in the heart of the city, and we all we all love that fact that the stadium's there and all that. But it's it's not really the power line is not here. I mean, I can't believe that when Mike Ashley had his High Court trial um, against, I think mean, it was Jeffrey Blue, wasn't he? Had that. Um, it was the uh, where, where he was uh, claiming that some business deal had been reneged on, and he sat there in the high court and said, "I am the last person to know what happens at Newcastle United's transfer business." Well, we've just heard from the manager three or four days ago that he had to speak to Mike Ashley to get permission to go and do the deals, or Mike <laughs> Ashley was getting involved in the deal. So it's clear that for whatever Mike Ashley says, and I've spoken to people who were really senior at the football club who said to me. All Mike wants is for this football club to run on its own so he doesn't have to get involved in it. But that's bullshit, isn't it? Because he's, because he's involved in everything. He has his finger in every pie at Newcastle United. He, he, he wants to manage it. And he says that he doesn't, but he does want to manage it. So what happens, I think, is that when he goes away on holiday for two weeks, you have total paralysis. You know, he went away for the first two weeks of the transfer window. Nothing happened. He comes back. Suddenly, things start moving again. Ratha starts getting some answers to questions that he needs to know. And I don't, you know, look, I know we sit here and, and, and a lot of people are very critical of Lee Charnley. Well, you know, I sat there when Steve McLaren um, got the job and I was speaking to somebody who was there at the club and, and I don't want to name him, um, but he was pretty senior at the time. And he said to me that the problem is Lee Charnley has a mortgage, he has a job, and he can't go against what Mike Ashley uh, thinks. So this person, this other person, was saying, well, look, so it's, it's, it, it means that other people at the football club have to kind of try and just edge in towards their thing. And it's this kind of like idea of, it's like a kind of, you know, it's the, the core of Mike Ashley. Everybody's got to kind of do something to try and just push it and edge it that way. And, you know, Rafa Peters does not need that, does he? You know, he's worked with some pretty high-profile people. He's been shafted at Real Madrid. He doesn't need to be shafted at Newcastle United, you know? And I think that's the, that's the issue for me is that, yeah, Effectively, you you know, he knows that until he gets a direct line from Mike Ashley, the things that he want to happen are not going to happen. Just a word on dysfunction. I mean, who knows what West Brom's owner was doing at the start of January, or Swansea's, or Watford's, or Stokes. It's just mental that you know Mike Ashley's been on holiday. Every single person in this room knows Mike Ashley's been on holiday. It's just absolutely bizarre, and it's just weird. Dysfunctional. Anything to add to that? No. <laughs> Do you remember when he was a reclusive billionaire and everybody said he was reclusive and nobody knows anything about this guy. I don't know fucking too much now, don't we? <laughs> I, think, I think the key thing is, is that he's a control freak, Mike yeah. Ashley. And I think as much as he protests, thank you. As, as much as he protests that he, he doesn't know anything about transfers, I think he. He, it's really pound for pound value, as, as Lee Charnley famously said, and I think that this control freakery is is one of the big problems and one of the big contradictions in him. He's this gambler, but he is a control freak as well. And Rafa, of course, has got an element of that in him as well. So perhaps it was always at times going to be a, a tricky marriage. Thank you. Um, do the panel feel Rafa Benitez will sign a supposedly new contract that the club are willing to offer him if Mike Ashley is still at the club? Well, I think the guys who were up here on the panel before, you know, said it correctly. It, it would have to take something 
it would have to take into feel that something had changed from what's happened in the last 12 months for him to sign that contract. Um, I, I probably disagree with some people who say he's going to leave in the summer. I think, I think he'll probably try and see out his contract, you know, unless he gets really good offer from somewhere else, you know, a, a compelling offer. And I think you know that's always that's always a possibility. But I mean, he said to us. You know, on the record, and off the record, that you know, when he was at, um, it was Valencia, wasn't it? Or I can't remember exactly, but I think it was Valencia. That he he gave them so many opportunities before he went to Liverpool. He, he gave them opportunities. He said, "Look, if you back me, I'll stay. If you keep, if you give me, I'll stay." And his and his verdict of that was, "Look, they kept they kept basically lying to me. They kept telling me they were going to give me one thing." Liverpool came in. Even when Liverpool came in, he told us that he went to the Valencia board and said, "Look, I've got this offer." Um, you know, I'm minded to go, but if you can give me a reason to stay, it's, you know, I'm here. And they didn't, so he went to Liverpool. And I think it's a similar thing here. He is, I, I think the only way he'll walk in the summer is if he gets a really good offer. He doesn't feel something's changed. But in terms of committing another four or five years to the club, well, no, of course he won't. I mean, that's, why would he? You know, apart from the fact he probably get, I mean, I might get a bit more money. But he knows that the only reason Mike Ashley is talking a contract with him is because He's trying to nail down every asset that he can to the football club, and he knows that they've not got any players up there who are drawing the cameras here. You know, people, the, the reason Newcastle are on TV all the time is because it's a big club, because there's a lot of people come to watch them, and also because there's this kind of Rafa sideshow as well. But Mike Ashley, no, he's not. You know, he's, he's not stupid enough. That, that, why ask the question in January? Why ask the question of Rafa in January? Why ask the question of the contracts question? Yes. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 isn't there a simple way to show your commitment to Rafa exactly. in January? Exactly. Well, it's another, it's another complete amusement, isn't it? But they, they, they've made contact with him about a contract before, haven't they? They've tried to, to, to sort of have conversations with him before. And I think it's, you know, who, who knows why that was? I think that was for show a little bit. I think that was, again, it was another PR move, wasn't it? She's, she said she wants Rafa. OK, well, we want, we, want, we want him as well. And I think it was a little bit of that. It was a PR game. They, just like Luke said, he didn't think that Amanda Stavely knew. He thinks Amanda Stavely knew she wasn't going to get the bids, but whatever you think of that. I think they knew he wasn't going to sign the contract. Of course, he's not. He's not stupid. I mean, why would he? Why would he? No. Well, yeah, I think there's a lot of gamesmanship there. I mean, I think part of, of, of Rafa has got a romantic streak, and he wants it to be right, and he wants it to stay. Wants to stay. But on the other hand, um, Mike Ashley and the club have done a lot to diminish him. I mean, for example, in many of our press conferences, Keith Bishop, Mike Ashley's PR advisor, sits in. He says nothing, but he's essentially a spy and a minder. And um, and he says, and for a manager of that stature, who's won lots of trophies, the Champions League, um, if you go to major coaching conventions, he's he's really illustrious to to have a, a Keith Bishop um, the Bishop of Soho, as he styles himself, <laughs> um, making him watch his step. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And, and I think it shows how much Benitez really wants to be here. Because could you see, could you see a Jose Mourinho, Sir Alex Ferguson, um, Arsene Wenger standing for it? So but the danger is that at some point, if he snaps, and then Mike Ashley's got a big decision to make, Rafa's got a big decision to make, so there's, there's loads of, of hazards, potential hazards. I think, I think the summer is tricky because the six million exit clause, even if it's not removed in the summer, it's legally got to diminish as he winds into the final 12 months of his deal. And I think his, his stock is still high. I think other clubs will, will want him. I think because of his, his daughters being teenagers, he wants to stay in England. His family home's on the Wirral. 
so he probably won't move to Europe. And there are a limited number of clubs of the stature that he would like to manage in England, but even so, it's not inconceivable that someone will come in and, as we know, things happen very quickly in football. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be very confident at all of him staying if Mike Ashley is still in charge. I have a question, and that's how it works when you have a question. But when Keith Bishop's at the press conference, do you press lads? Do you speak to him? Or does he say in the eye? Does he look really mean at the back of the room? Does he say good morning? We did ask Keith actually to come tonight, but he didn't get back to me. Um, neither did they, Charlie, or anyone from the football club or Sky Sports. Um, yeah, so just my, press, my question to the press guys is. You know, is it just weird having them there at the back looking over you? Do you speak to them? Like, what's the crap? Yes, it's really, really fucking weird. I have never. You know, he's supposedly this big PR guru, right? And I don't know about any, any of the other guys, but I can only speak for myself in that. Honestly, I've never spoken to him. I've never had a phone call from him. I've never had an email from him. I've never had a direct message on Twitter from him. Um, I've just never had any contact with him. And if he was supposedly a PR guru doing things for Mike Ashley and the football club, you'd think he'd speak to the people who write about Newcastle United. <laughs> Would at least try and speak to the people who... Like, I, I just I can't understand that because, you know, Newcastle United have a media team and uh, I speak to them all the time. And, they, you know, and they're, they're, they're actually pretty good. You know, they... they you know, we have our arguments, we have our fallouts and stuff, but they, you know, you, 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 it's fair game, isn't it? You can fall out with people, but Keith Bishop, I've never, ever spoken to, and he's never made any effort to try and influence the agenda of, uh, of the Chronicle or Journal, and I know that's the kind of, it's a trope that a lot of people put out, is Keith Bishop's kind of lying and spinning and stuff, but he just doesn't, so I find it really weird. I don't know about, I don't yes. know about you. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, it's, it's surreal. I mean, he's the only PR guy that, that I've ever seen that doesn't really seem to do any PR. <laughs> I mean, Mike Ashley apparently pays an awful lot of money, but, uh, but in Wendy Taylor, they've got an excellent, excellent press officer head of communications. So, I mean, I think his sole function is to be, is to be the spy, the spy in the, in the camp. But he's never... Certainly, when I've never been there, he's never introduced himself to us. No. I mean, I've never no. said a word. Uh, he was there. For, he's been there for such a long time as well. It's been like way back to the Alapardu days, like 2011, I think. He's been coming to press conferences on and off for seven years. And I remember, like, I thought he was Alapardu's mate for a while. And I was just like, who's <laughs> <laughs> that guy? Who's like, that guy? Why is he a guy in a weird suit and sort of all that? And, you know, it was like, who is he? I thought he was, I think he was a journalist for a while. He's just one, like one of the kind of. Um, one of the sort of quiet guys at the back, just like, oh, he's Keith Bishop, all right, he's the, he's, he's the kind of brains behind the operation, but you never know who he is. He might be really good. I don't know. Yeah. So do you get less off the record with Rafa when he's there? You know, we've all said there's off the record off Rafa the record. and on the record with Rafa. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, it's... Uh, it, Does he, is he more guarded when Bishop's there? Yes. Yeah. Thank, that was yes. Yeah. Good question, yes. Thank you. Can you repeat the question before you answer is he more guarded? Is he when more guarded when Keith Bishop's yeah. here? And you know, I think that's what he's there for. But but you know, when Rafa when Rafa goes off the record, he's not he's not sitting there saying stuff that's that's kind of you know legally going to get him into trouble. It's just stuff that you know just to give you a bit of background so you know what's going on. Like why you know that's it. It's not it's not like you know it's not it's not it's, that's the thing. He doesn't need to be there. He doesn't need to be. <laughs> nah. 
He's, he's not based in the North East, is he? So it's a canny track for him to come for a press conference. Yeah. I think so. I mean, as I said, I really don't know anything about it. Based in Soho, of course. Yeah. Of course. Can, so have you got, any of you guys? Yes, I can, I'll, I, can, I can tell if I can have the mic. I'll tell you very quickly. George, you want to so, get a bit? No, no, no. Sorry. Um, so I have met Keith Bishop a couple of times, and I've actually got pissed with him this time. Is George? Sorry, George. Um, I've got uh, I've got pissed with him the first time I'd heard that Steve McLaren had been given an official. This is Keith Bishop. This is what he does. <laughs> George has said he doesn't come out of this story very well, so now I really, really want to hear this. Is this safe, just for the podcast, is this safe for uh, under 18s to hear, George? No, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, come up here, George. Oh, no, yes, come on, George. Oh, hey, George, come on. Come on. We all are here. George, come on. 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 Come for discussing Newcastle's transfer policy in public. So we talk about dysfunctional football club here. As has his assistant. Yeah. Um, who's his assistant? Uh, Paul, uh, Paul Simpson. Paul Simpson. Yeah. For talking about transfers on Radio Newcastle. I mean, absolutely laughable. So I found this out, I talked to the club. It happened that Steve, uh, Keith Bishop was, uh, was up in Newcastle. All right, come to the bar, let's have a chat with him. He completely denied it, even though it was absolutely true. Um, But he poured a lot of wine, this was in his station bar. And I kind of had a glass of wine and got increasingly ranty, as I'm prone to do about Newcastle, and as I've done tonight, and uh, more and more ranty. Anyway, the evening ended with me um, pissing all over a Christmas tree and uh, Um, So I lost all moral authority. I lost all moral authority. Um, that's my key bishop. But he, um, he, we haven't had many conversations since, but for possibly for the obvious reasons. But it, it is this incredibly peculiar system uh, situation where he has Newcastle as a client, he has Mike Ashley as a client, and he has Russell. Oh, I want to tell the Russell Grant story now. He has Russell Grant as a client. He has Linda Sardi as a client. He has all these. We, um, he came across to Dublin for pre-season, uh, where Newcastle were based and we were based and the club was very open and he actually came out for a meal with us and he was regaling stories about all these sort of D, D-list, B-list, C-list celebrities that he, that he works with and what he seems to do is just basically go to the pub in Soho and, and chat and chat some people with wine and Obviously, my tolerance for wine was a lot, a lot less good than his, but I think it was my favourite quote. Is it this season? Sort of just this season. He was talking about Russell Grant. He said, You know what, Russell Grant? He's a hard cut. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a nightmare. <laughs> 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 
that there is an aspect of the support that wants the press to do more against Ashley. I don't know whether that's the case in the room, but you know, we're going to certainly look at ourselves and look at the supporters as, as people have talked about before me. But yeah, it was, it was weird the amount of questions that came in. Can I, can I tell a story that doesn't involve Russell Graham being uh, <laughs> Um, it, the day we were banned, the day we were banned, um, we, uh, I remember it was just after the, the, they lost to Sunderland and uh, we got fantastic support from our colleagues in the national media, they were absolutely fantastic and it was, it was really sort of, you know, it, it kind of, it was quite, it's quite grim because nobody wants to be banned, it is a bit of a badge of honour in some ways but at the same time it makes your job incredibly difficult and it was the days before, it was the first time I had been banned and obviously you're kind of sitting there thinking well how are we going to do our job? day to day. I think now we'd be a lot more sort of, well, the, the media's moved on. But, um, you know, we, we, we went into that game, I think they played, played Chelsea was the first game, and we printed out a load of front pages, and we were we thought from the mood that was on social media, and from the mood that everybody had sort of communicated to me was, everybody's behind you, you guys, go for it now. And we printed this front page, which was like, this is a message for Mike Ashley. And then the team beat Chelsea, and I remember walking, and I remember Alan Pardew afterwards came out and said, that was for Mike, right? And, and I thought, um, you know, that was probably where me and Alan, probably our relationship started to go downhill after that. Um, and I remember walking, and I remember thinking, right, okay, you know, fair enough. And I remember walking behind these two guys who were sort of like early 60s or whatever, and they were sitting, and we were walking off, and they were going, do you know what? That local newspaper got what it can deserve, because they've been so negative about the football club all week, and we've won. And you know what? That's one of them. And I thought, wow, yeah, it's not as easy as everybody telling you on social media that they're behind you. It is, it is, you have to be aware of the fact that what you hear on social media is a sort of quite a small percentage of what people are saying. And I think as a newspaper group, you have to be, you have to feel like there's a movement because I think you've seen it with the Gazette at Middlesbrough. They're currently in a weird situation with Middlesbrough where they need a ban, but they're saying the two reporters who they feel are critical are not, you know, are not are not being allowed into the press conferences and stuff. And a lot of Middlesbrough fans are with the club on that, and it's fair enough because you know everybody takes their side. So it's not as easy as people saying to you, "Get him out," because Amanda Staley's put two hundred fifty million pounds in front of him and hasn't got him out. We've put loads of front pages out that have kind of basically said, look, go for this. We've tried it that way. We've tried to engage with them, tried to get them to answer questions. You know, I got I sat down with Lee Charnley two years ago That's and we thought written, Yeah, That's it is. Written. And we all thought we that want stop shouting. Yeah. All we want is the truth. Yeah. And but Order. When, Order. We sat, when we sat down with Lee Charney, we got the answers from Lee Charney, and we thought this is the beginning of a bridge building exercise. We've all, all the guys here have thought that it was it was starting of something new, they were going to be open. We thought two summers ago, this club is changing, and it didn't. And this is the problem, you're dealing with somebody who so it doesn't give a shit in one way, but at other times it's it's very difficult to know exactly what he wants and what does he want, you know does he want an uncritical media or does he want it? It's it's difficult to deal with, and I understand why people think that we should be taking up arms and things like that. But you know, at the moment, it's you know you're almost looking for a lead from you know we're almost all in this room looking for a lead from somebody else, and so it's really really difficult. And I feel for you that. Do you know what? Like everybody feels frustrated with the football club because it feels like it's ready for lift off and. As I said, if there's something that we can do, and if there's a way that we can, um, if there's a way that we can bring positive change to the football club, that's that's what we're trying to do because we know, you know, not only 
you know, it's not only good for the football club and the fans, but a successful Newcastle United would sell a shitload of papers, would it? <laughs> Get a shitload of people clicking on your website as well. things like that it's like you sort of think well has Mike actually ever done that well, he, you know he, he's never come and done an interview the only interview he's ever done is with Sky Sports isn't it? and that's not a look and that's why is he doing that well obviously they pay for the, the coverage and stuff but it's also it's a national and international stage for him he's not that interested I don't think in really projecting his message locally I think he's more interested in in the national and international stage that gives him the, the profile for his company and also you know I think he knows he can't win us over here, doesn't he? So in essence, that kind of national thing is good for, you know, well, the people in London who think, well, oh, Geordie's a, a, you know, a, a mad and all that, they, they'll side with me. That's why I get frustrated when I kind of switch on Sky and you've got Dennis Wise and idiots like Simon Jordan and people like that talking about me. They don't know anything about me. the local newspaper um, I, I don't envy the people who work in Newcastle here at the moment because maybe they would like to build bridges with us and they would they do want a positive relationship yeah. you know the, the people at Newcastle and Rafa works really well with all the local guys here because he knows mm -hmm. that it's really important because you guys read what we write and he wants you know he wants a positive kind of you know a, what I'm trying to do to be to be communicated to the supporters and I wish the owner would do it and I think the paradox is that the international pulling power of Newcastle has contracted partly because of their failure commercially to build revenues. I mean, I think it has got a great worldwide supporter base, but that has diminished. Mm -hmm. and, and really, he's not attended to that and, and doing these Sky interviews aren't really the answer to that at all. I mean, his foreign policy is, is, is very bizarre. I mean, remember they had that tour to New Zealand, which was, I think he was essentially opening um, a Sports Direct superstore over there. So, so again, it comes back to Sports Direct as well. Yeah. Did they also in Ireland? I wasn't there, but in Ireland, they, they did the fun event at Sports Direct, sport, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the yeah. thing. It's kind of like, you know, come on. Come on. Well, Again, these, as I said, like the guys were saying earlier, it's a platform for Sports Direct. Well, you don't look if you want to sell Sports Direct brand, that's fine, but grow the football club as well. Yeah. Don't 
don't start the football yeah. club and grow your brand. It doesn't. It's, that's no. Yeah. You know, look, people here would. You got outside sports directors. My passion was in was making yeah. Newcastle United successful. Sports director would be a popular brand in Newcastle if, if Newcastle United was successful yeah. and they thought the yeah, area was committed. Mm-hmm. Amanda Stave, isn't it? You know, people don't mind if she takes money out of the football club if it's really successful mm-hmm. and is making enough money for her to do that. Yeah. It's fair enough. It's not a charity. It's not, you know, we know that. I wish it was in some ways, but it's, it's not. That's not how it works in football, is it? Thank you. Um, I've got a question here for Simon. Does Rafa know his true value to NUFC and the support? Being in yet another relegation battle is surely a professional humiliation for him? Right. I've got nothing on his bedroom, um, nor have I weed on a Christmas tree ever. So, um, as Alex mentioned before, we went to meet Rafa um, about this time last year uh, at, the, at the training ground, and I was starstruck. I, was, I couldn't believe I was going to meet Rafa when he um, as, as a humble fan who does a. You're welcome. And yeah, I couldn't believe it. But within within ten minutes of sitting with him, you realise he's just like he's just a bloke who loves football. And I felt immediately comfortable. And you talk to him about football like you do with your friends. And um, I think Craig said it before. You, you immediately realise how hard this man works. And he's it was sat here. You say, and I, I believe exactly what you said he works so hard, and a lot of that just goes to waste. And that's, that's shocking to hear. But you, you immediately realise that if you've got your Pardews, your Allardyces, McLaren, uh, John Carver on his golf course. None of those guys are working anywhere near as hard as Rafa Benitez. So, and he, and he knows it as well. So I, I don't think he's sitting there thinking, um, sitting there thinking that uh, he doesn't realise how much he means to us. Um, bear with us. I've got my notes. <laughs> Listen, um, I think the difference at Newcastle, and I think at, uh, Liverpool, Valencia, maybe Tenerife, some of those old clubs, and not Real Madrid and Napoli, is that he gets appreciated here. And so that hard work at Newcastle will always be appreciated, and I think everyone in this room agrees with that. He's, he didn't get that Madrid, he didn't get that Napoli, so the timing was perfect when he came here. A football club with a fan base that will appreciate someone who works hard and works for the fans and works for the football. Just a really quick anecdote. George said before that Newcastle's training ground is shit, and that, that kind of killed me a little bit inside. Not because I think Newcastle's training ground is good, but I got taken around last August by Rafa, and it, you've all seen probably the, there's been a, a video going on on social media of Gary Lineker with uh, Sir Bobby Robson, and he's, he's talking about doors and wood and frames, and that's the passion that Sir Bobby had for Newcastle United and St James's Park, and Rafa was taking me and nobody around the training ground, um, and he was pointing out a light he'd put in here, he'd changed the paint here, he'd done this in the showers here, and he'd done something with the weights, the weights were a different angle because it was better for the lads to be looking at each other or something weird like that. But it, this, was a, this was a bloke who was spending time, which just, by the way, at this point in this meeting, we just lost the first two games of last season, the full of us feeling more shite than both of them. Um, and here he was on a Monday afternoon after that, showing some stranger, his work and the trainer, and he was so proud, he clearly was so proud of every little aspect of being considered, and that's when George said it's shit, I just thought, you, 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 George will know he's been to Brighton, he's been to Middlesbrough, he's been to Sunderland, he does the training ground to her, like, it, this is a bloke who just puts, like, there is, I don't believe there is an aspect of Newcastle United that he can improve that he hasn't, whether it be Paul Dummett's position, which is way better than it was before he turned up the club, whether it was, you know, Jamal Lascelles' influence um, as, as a leader across the club. 
you know, whether it was Hosloo's finishing, I'm just joking. You know what I mean? Or penalty to But this, this is a bloke that, and then, then anyway, to, to move it on, then I had to do it all again when Cy turns up three months later, and we did the exact same thing, and it was as proud three months later, and he'd even made a couple more improvements. It was like, this is a bloke who probably spent so much time, I mean, we, we this, the last time, the next time I saw him, we played Burnham at home, or beaten 4 nil. great days last season there, beaten 4 nil on a Saturday, and he showed me inside how we're going to beat Burnham. Again, two nobodies, he took over the computer, and said, this is how these lads can't see their goals. Burnham were fifth under Gary Rowett at the time. I don't know how Burnham are gone on this week, anyone know who they're But uh, anyway, this is a guy who clearly just spends all of his waking hours. He must, I don't know, you, you lads know better than me how much time he actually spends at the training ground. I'd be worried about him personally. He must spend so much time there, and it's just incredible the amount of effort that goes in by one man. By one man, everything you've heard tonight is the antithesis of that in terms of the people that surround him, the people that are above him. That's it, really. Uh, Tammy Abraham to stand for Newcastle, which is, you know, kind of you like, that's the kind of effort that the guy's going into, and it's not being backed up by by the people above him, really, and that's the that's the shame that all that effort's going in and it's going to waste. Thank you. Are there any questions off the floor for these guys on the stage? Right, you're going to have to bear with us with the microphone here. I'm trying my best to get to you. What is your question? See a bodgy if I uh, misheard what uh, the lads said before about the uh, rebellion. So, of course, um, what my question is is, isn't it just a massive game of chess? So you've got the sociopath in Mike Ashley. You've got someone in Amanda Savory who is, if she wants a club, but is there a way around this negotiation table? Isn't there a way that? should have been sorted out earlier, or isn't this the way that was always going to be? Was it always going to be a drawn out affair? Thank you. Well, I think what we really need is is an ex-party, Mr. Mr. X coming or Mrs. X, and, and introduce a third party to this takeover to have another serious bidder, and then we would really see Amanda Stavely's credentials and see whether Mike Ashley really wanted to sell. And I think we need perhaps a serious player because the thing with Amanda Stavely is she was looking for backers and investors and we don't know who those are or whether they really exist. And it would be great, say with Abu Dhabi, which um, bought Manchester City, if we had something like that, I mean, perhaps a sovereign wealth fund is, is perhaps a little optimistic, but, um, but you never know. But I think when you get these consortiums with assorted investors, it, it can be difficult. And because Mike Ashley is clearly a fairly impossible man to, to bargain with, you need somebody like, like that that's perhaps on a different stratosphere to him that could just sweep him away and that they wouldn't be trying to put each other in corners. So you need someone else, I think, to enter the equation. But, I mean, thinking about Abu Dhabi, I think they did look at this club really, really seriously and opted for Manchester City, and that was... That was a really pivotal sliding doors moment in this in this club's history, and I think a, another one is needed. Thank you. Any more questions? You'll have to come to me, guys, because my cable isn't long enough. Yeah, I need a longer cable. Hi. 
this this was leading on from the uh, the, the earlier panel actually. Um, it was mentioned that the stories that were, were leaked over the takeover came from the Stavely camp, and yet this mysterious second bid came out. So the uh, the journalist who printed that, I don't know, I think it's one, I'm not certain, I think one journalist possibly looked to do, did you write a story about the, uh, a, a mysterious second bid from, uh, from Dubai? So, so where did that story come from? No, I think, no, sorry, do you mean, do you mean the, the other? The other party, there's somebody else coming uh, in. But there was a story about uh, no, no, it's Craig here. So here. Yeah, Craig. Craig Craig Rhodes is something he's probably got, but I've had. Oh, it's a lot of rubbish. Sorry. No, no, it's. Listen, you speak to so many people around this, and there's a case of lies and half-truths and who do you believe and who do you not believe and this feels like a, I don't know, like takeover's anonymous. But they did, they did say, Newcastle did say to Stavely that there was another, they did, yes. Yeah, they did, yeah. Throughout all of this, uh, Newcastle's Ashley's side have been telling us the press, there was a, a second investor party who could pay him or willing to pay three and three million pound. Well, <laughs> throughout all of it, you've got to think who do you believe and who do you not believe in. You don't want to be caught in the middle of something reporting on on, on someone else's lies, basically. It's, you've got to try and fish out the bullshit and, and what you believe to be true. Now, I think the story you referred to there was something completely different, whereby I was contacted about three or four weeks ago uh, by an intermediary of a, a second group who claim to be from Dubai, who say they've got the, the means to pay £300 million, but they are waiting until the TV deal, until the, the club's Premier League statuses is secured one way or the other. Whether they're genuine or not, I don't know. And the way I wrote the story was, was very simple. And I said, they claim to have this, they claim to have that. Are they genuine? I honestly don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But the one thing I will say on, on Stavely is that, uh, and this was said to me, I don't know the answer to this. Like I said, it's, it's like, take was anonymous. We all are really struggling around grasping for the, for the truth, really. Someone said to me, if Mike Ashley went back to her tomorrow, and perhaps George can answer this, and said, okay, Amanda, you've got a deal of £250 million, the club is yours, could she pay the £250 million? It was suggested to me that as of tomorrow, she probably couldn't. The Liverpool game was, this is what's been said to me, I don't know if it's true or not, I really don't. The Liverpool game was almost a pitch for investors. It was, I'm Amanda Stavely, I'm here, I'm willing to buy a football club. I do believe she was genuine. I think she wants to buy Newcastle. I think she's got good intentions for Newcastle, but I don't think the money is there. I really don't. The Liverpool game was very carefully coordinated how her presence was leaked to the media, how it then snowballed and we all jumped on the back of it and everyone was doing background checks on Amanda Stavely. All of a sudden we were reporting without doing any sort of real digging that she had this, what was it, 28 billion pounds, 28 billion pound investment fund behind her. If she had 28 billion pound, I'm sorry, she would have paid 300 million pounds for Newcastle. <laughs> that was quite clearly not, not, not true. Either. Yeah, but that's set. I mean, that's... Yeah, but, but that, 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 that is what was reported. So, so, and I will finish this quickly. My feeling is that the Liverpool game was a, a come on for investors from the Middle East, from wherever. She then got the Rubin brothers involved, albeit a, 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 a lukewarm interest, tentatively. It was no surprise that their, 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 their promise of, of backing came in November and that was the exact time when, when the office went in for the football club. 
I probably think that their ceiling for the club was £250 million, which is the reason Amanda Stavey's bid was capped at £250 million. As soon as they withdrew in November, this has been confirmed by David Collins' piece in The Guardian, that is when all dialogue broke off in November, early December time. We've heard nothing since. I do believe she wants to buy the club and she's keeping all of this going in the hope that somebody else will come on board and give her the money she needs to get the deal done. I hope that does happen. But as of now, if you went back to her tomorrow and said, Amanda, where's the £250 million? I don't think she's got it. And George, I'll give you the chance to answer that. Yeah, cheers. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously I can't answer that because, uh, I mean, and I, again, I have to be careful not to sort of break confidences when I was in her company, but I was shown, I was shown, I was shown evidence of proof of worth and things like that. Now, I've got no way of independently verifying that, obviously, um, but there will be no, I mean, if, 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 that, if that proof of worth is, is genuine, then there'll be no problem. You know, she, the, the, the amount of money that she had at her fingertips within 10 or 14 days of asking the bank for it would blow the, you know, the, the, the bids, the, the necessary finance that kind of out of the window. But that's, in some ways, that's not relevant because this is a bid that has been, so the form of words that's used is that she has a 28 billion pound um, investment fund that she controls. That is irrelevant in terms of this bid. This bid is, to a large extent, her plus other bidders plus, to use her quote, sovereign wealth. So that's how the bid is made up. I've got no. I mean, you say could she could she summon up that money? I, I mean, I can't answer that except that except to say that I know that she would say she could. But you wouldn't have to do it in a, in a but, matter of days. Um, so I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that she would say that she could, but that, of course, that's that's sort of meaningless. But I mean, I actually say she she couldn't, and that's where we're still. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, we've got no, we've got no way, we've got no way of verifying that one way, you know, one way or the other. The big test, you know, at some point, if she wants to prove that she's a credible owner of a football club, she has to buy a football club, and there's no other way. There's no way around that, and I think she knows that, but. What she says is she will own a football club at some point and she wants it to be Newcastle. Do, do you agree? Do you think that what else? Do you agree that the Liverpool game was a come on for investors? It was an advert. That's how it, it looked to me and that's how it's been portrayed to me in the past two weeks. Absolutely. Don't you ask uh, no, I mean I've got no. I, 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 that, the, the way the way that's been explained to me was what I sort of said on stage was that uh, people around her have. So she she looks Liverpool. She looked at other clubs like Leeds, and they they backed away from that. And the people close to her were saying that Newcastle was the best option for her. And part of the process was about getting her to a Newcastle game to watch to watch it. And she she went along. She was blown away by what she saw and what she heard and the potential she. Now I'm making this sound very romantic, but that's how it's been sort of portrayed to me. And that that was what that was what persuaded her to make a bid, and then a bid actually came that month. So at the time, Newcastle briefed that she was a time waster. Newcastle briefed that she hadn't met people in the boardroom, or that it wasn't an official meeting. But she did. She she shook people's hands, and she opened up a chain of dialogue, which led to emails, which then a month later led to an official bid submitted by Freshfields with Chris Morris as her lawyer. So. 
if it's if that was about her drumming up money, then it worked pretty quickly. I mean, I don't know when, you know, I don't know when. Look, I mean, I can't answer that question. I absolutely can't answer that question. But that's not the way she she's portrayed it. Anymore. Thank you very much, guys. On that note, we're going to call an end to tonight's proceedings. Um, can you just put your hands together for all of the journalists who have attended tonight? Um, to give you time to come and talk to you guys and answer your questions. So thank you very much to everybody for being here this evening. Um, thank you, True Faith, for another fantastic event. Uh, I'm sure they'll let you know if there's going to be another one in the near future, and I hope you do come along. Uh, keep your questions coming in. Alex? Yeah, thank you, Sharon, for being a brilliant host once thank again. You, Sharon, really. Thank you. Thanks for coming. I think, um, it's a, it, again, we sold out this event in nine days, which was mental. Um, shows the passion there is for football from Newcastle United and how much everyone fucking hates Mike Ashley. <laughs> so, thank you. We've raised, we've raised nearly 1,900 quid tonight, which is going to go to a fantastic place. So, well done, all you guys. Uh, one final plug for the two made shirts at the back there. Come on, grab one on the way out. Goes to a great course and it's much better than the, the tacky stuff the team wear at the moment. So, cheers. Thanks for coming out. Thank you. Thank you. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com